Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly IMDb Top 250 Movies of All Time podcast. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. I'm Charlene. And this week, we're talking about The Shawshank Redemption, the single greatest movie of all time as voted for by IMDb users. Yes, four years early, the podcast is sort of reaching its climax and end point, um, discussing Frank Darabont's 1994 at the time, underrated classic, which was gradually seen and uh, which didn't do very well at the box office, but which performed very well in VHS and sort of evolved into a classic. Um, we invited Charlene uh, to join us to talk about this film because, well, first of all, because you're a big fan of the film, I believe, Charlene. Big fan. Yeah. Love it. it I, maybe my favourite. Ever. Ever. <laughs> maybe. But um, I have, I, that changes quite a bit, but... It's kind of that consistent one that when I saw it, it was like the best film I've ever seen in my life when I was like 10 or something. And uh, and since then, it hasn't really moved very much, but like, you know, I have a lot of favourite films. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we've talked about this ourselves. When you when you ask somebody who loves film to pick a favourite film, it's, it depends on the day of the week in which you it ask is, them. Yeah. This is kind of a, a consistent one, though. That... So what is it very broadly, like just obviously without getting into too much depth or without getting into too many spoilers... Um, what is it about the Shawshank Redemption that sort of appeals to you? What is it that makes it, like, that sort of gels the film? <laughs> it's funny that you're saying it like, what? How? There's a certain kind of context coming through in, uh, okay, well, from, from, from Darren, maybe. Well, I think maybe that... we should be asking you questions. <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, get to that, don't we'll we? Get, we'll, we'll get to that now. But, um... You saw it at the age of 10, right? And, and it stayed with you since then as, as one of your favourite films ever. Like, that's a hell of a lot of staying power. And what is it about? Is there anything in particular? Is it just that it comes together beautifully as a film? Like, what is it about The Shawshank Redemption? I guess when you say something's your favourite film, it means kind of everything, really, I suppose. Like, to me, it's just... It's a really good comfort film for me. I just really enjoy it in that sense. It's very entertaining. Um, but generally speaking, the films that I really love, and this is very Hollywood of me, are always films that are really about humanity and looking at humanity, like stuff like It's a Wonderful Life or something that like I could watch that forever and ever, you know, and those kinds of films that I feel like look at people, look at situations and bring a lot of humanity. And to me, that this film is a film about prison life, but it's also just about when you're put into a situation, what you do with that situation, how other people deal with similar situations. And I think it's the humanity of that, the simplicity of just get busy living and get busy dying. Like just as it's a, it's a simple, it's not a simple story, obviously it gets into some complicated stuff, but um, it's, it's a big Hollywood film, not a big Hollywood film financially, but uh, for me, that sort of epic thing about people that yeah. I, I always respond to. It's it's fascinating because it came out in 1994, which was a huge year for cinema. Because obviously, the big discussion that you had at the time was like Forrest Gump versus uh, Pulp Fiction, mm -hmm. uh, both of which are currently on the list. Um, you also had films like, for example, Natural Born Killers. For example, you had a sense like the entire medium and how you were making films was sort of changing. Was Jurassic Park that year. Jurassic Park was, was the year before, was it? I think that might that, have been. That was 93. Oh, okay. And keep in mind that it may have had a staggered release or something like that. So, but it probably it would have been a monster that would have carried over into 1994 as well. Like, it was a year where everything was sort of changing. I think, like, I'm going to be honest here. I um, I like The Shawshank Redemption quite a bit. I'm not as in love with it as, as some people are. And I think that one of the reasons why we invited you on, Charlene, was because we wanted somebody who could share Andrew's enthusiasm for it. Um, oh, good. Uh, there's another enthusiastic person. That's good, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's, yeah, this would be kind of... Um, well, I'm playing the Darren role. 
this no, week. No, no, I, I, I am. I'm, 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 the, I'm, the, I'm the, the, the moderator. The, 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 the person who, um, yeah, actually, mostly, I, mostly we'll be ganging up on Darren. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you were worried for a second it was going to be ganging up on you. Yeah, no, no I was worried. I'd be okay, though, because I don't, track. I can argue my way around well, I, I, think with this, I think with this film you can argue very convincingly as well and I mean I want to be clear I don't hate the film I really really like the film I was about to say like I think one of the things that has helped the film endure like as one of like the most memorable films of 1994 which was a great year is the fact that it feels so classical and so lyrical and so old school sort of Hollywood it has this sort of feel where you get the sense it could have been made in the 1940s obviously it would have been made in black and white or whatever it could have been made in the 70s uh, it could have been made in the 90s. You could make it today and it wouldn't be too radically different outside the technology that you would use to make it. And I think it has that sort of timeless sort of quality too. I think Dara Bond, uh, the director who also wrote it, it was his directorial debut, I believe. His, his feature debut. His feature yeah. debut. Yeah, and he did shorts. He, and, do, he did a, a Stephen King short story. Oh, yes. Short, shorter than the novella. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a Dollar Baby, as they called him. Yeah. Um, and he had done a lot of screenplay writing. Um, also genre stuff yeah. he did a lot of genre stuff um, but yeah this is his feature debut and it, it's astoundingly confident and he described it as a tall tale which is very much like in the Stephen King style it's it's mm. a story that's it's almost like an American fairy tale an American sort of fable about uh, and it has as you pointed out a very simple moral which is get busy living get busy dying but it, it's got this sort I of don't, I, don't, I don't think it's that simple <laughs> there, I, I think there's a lot of Sorry to interrupt, no. but I, 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 I think there's a lot of depth to this, and a lot of... I mean, yeah, I, I, I suppose I, 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 I don't want to contradict you too much, because it, it, I suppose you can boil it down in several ways, but I, 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 I think there, there's a lot um, behind the kind of seeming simplicity of it. I think there's some really important stuff going on. Like for, 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 it's, it's, it's a very philosophical movie and not in a kind of a vague or, um, abstract. Abs- well, it, 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 I, I mean, it, it's, there, there is, well, I see it a few ways, but it, it, one, one of the ways in which I see it is it, it's, 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 it's a movie about stoicism and, um, about, um, this character who, 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 who lives, who lives his life according to 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 a certain kind of um set of 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 principles and the the contrast between him and i suppose the um and the person i'm talking about is andy um who's who's definitely the hero and and the um governor um or warden warden, Norton, warden Norton. yes who 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 would be the villain well one of the villains of 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 the movie who's um who's this supposed christian it reminds me of I, I don't know who said it, but um, there was this, a, a saying at the time in the in the Roman uh, world um, that in in Stoicism we have Stoics, but where is the where is the Christian in Christendom? Which is that um, yeah, the, the the kind of culture of of Christianity is about all of this kind of um, righteousness and um, kind of always doing the right thing but there's often a kind of a dissonance yeah and of like a yeah a, a, a failure to kind of um, live up to the um, standards that they supposedly apply to themselves there's a hypocrisy I yeah. guess is the and 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 uh, I, I certainly wouldn't go off on one but it, it, it like it, it's 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 the whole thing of the Pharisees and the. 
But I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of Christian stuff to unpack here. I think that, like, and I, I would argue that ties back into the idea of, like, Shawshank as an American fable, because I think that American identity has always been tied up in this sort of Christian philosophy, and that, like, the Puritans, the idea of, like, finding America, like, providence, providence, the idea of one this nation under God. This is the stuff <laughs> that there, I do. There's, there's even a westward... <laughs> there's a westward push, there's the Pacific, there's all this sort of movie symbolism that Darren just adores in films. I'm surprised you don't like this movie more. You'd like I, the sequel, though, when, <laughs> when they've gone west. Yeah. <laughs> but there, there is, there's a lot in this movie that I really, really appreciate, and, and like, that is one of the, the aspects of it, is that it is very much, it is a fable in many ways, shapes, and forms. But I want to, want to say, actually, I realise I haven't, it's, we're ten minutes into the podcast, I haven't properly introduced uh, Charlene, <laughs> by the way, just in case our listeners are, are wondering. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who is this person who actually knows what she's talking about on the podcast? Um, it, completely breaking podcast protocols. But you are the chief programmer at the Lighthouse, I believe. Yeah. And you, <laughs> what else can I say about that? <laughs> but you actually organised a Stephen King uh, sort of a season recently as well, actually, which is where part of the idea of inviting you on sort of came from, which was that you guys screened Shawshank as part of that. I believe we did, yeah. So every every Halloween we do a, a Halloween season. So um, this year, I I've been pushing for this for a while, but this was the year it was like. We're doing Stephen King. I don't care. Um, like, obviously, that could be a massive season, but we just did a selection. Uh, it was called Dear Constant Reader, which is how he starts mm. all of his introductions and his, he addresses his audience as Constant Reader. Um, so so that was, um, like, some horror films, but then also after Halloween, we continued it with some of his less horror films, like Shawshank, Stand By Me, Green Mile, um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive Stephen King fan, so I think that um, I've been reading Stephen King books for longer than I've been, uh, well, since I shouldn't have been reading Stephen King books, um, <laughs> like sneaking into the grown-up section of the library kind of stuff <laughs> to read Stephen King but books. Some Stephen so, King books no one should read. But... No, I don't know. That's, that, that's, that's, that's Yeah. Well, He's I mean, very prolific. I was going to say, when you look at the amount of output that he produces, I mean, Law of Averages states okay. that occasionally yeah. you'd end up with a Dreamcatcher. Yeah. But I mean, I, I would I would, I would, would be, sorry, not to be too blunt about Dreamcatcher, but I would be of a similar sort of mindset. I would have read a lot of Stephen King when I was about 10 or 11 I remember going off on holidays and having a Stephen King book and they're great reads they actually are yeah. and I like Pet Cemetery, uh, which has yet to be made into a decent film I would argue Maybe next year <laughs> fingers crossed is it coming? well the people who made Star, I don't know if you've seen this film Starry Eyes it's a, it was like two years old it's a okay. great little uh, indie American horror film that I really really liked and those people have signed on to make Pet Cemetery. nice yeah well I mean with it and stuff you're sort of you're maybe getting to the stage where you have good Stephen King adaptations consistently well yeah there was it but there was also The Dark Tower we don't we talk never, about that ever never never sorry what was that you were saying <laughs> this movie I got I forgot already it, never mind yeah. <laughs> and the only Idris Elba movie that was out this year was The Mountain Between Us surely I mean yeah yeah that's it yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Matthew <laughs> Connie's been very quiet lately very quiet yeah, yeah. um <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I would have a sort of a similar relationship uh, with King. And I mean, it, it's it was a really fantastic season. But in terms of screening the Shawshank Redemption, what was it like to... Because you, you had watched... You'd watched this only a few weeks before we recorded the podcast. And you'd watched it with a cinematic audience. And you invited us to come along, actually. Neither of us could make it. We're very sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but what was, it, what was it like to watch it in a room full of people? Some of whom had seen it before. And I think you mentioned earlier, some of whom had not seen it before, which is... Yeah, that was really fascinating. Actually, strangely, I we did this for... Um, I, I do a cinema book club every month where you read the book, then watch the film, and myself and my friend Chelsea do a discussion afterwards. And uh, 
that is one that we've done before. Um, so I have seen it in the past couple of years with an audience. But this time round, so it was just after Halloween. It would have been about a month ago I watched it. And uh, there's about 100 people in the audience. And just when it got to, uh, no spoilers here, but like certain parts where things happen, <laughs> there was these audible like gasps. <laughs> and I was there with my husband and the two of us were like, what? <laughs> and then from that moment on, it was such a joy. Like I've never experienced such joy in my life as listening to reactions from people that like they were just completely floored by this. And, uh, and even walking out, actually, there was a man and... His two daughters, I presume, who were like probably like 12 to 15. And they were like, is that the same Stephen King? Like that same Stephen King who wrote like the scary films. And I was just like, this is great. It's old enough now that new people can find it. (laughs) It was a real actually, I have to say, it was one of the greatest joys of my life (laughs) watching it with people who'd never seen it. Yeah, no, because there is, there's something about sitting in, in an audience with people and sort of feeling the emotions and sort of getting that with you. And particularly with an older film where maybe you've seen it before, watching it with an audience is like experiencing it fresh and anew, which is amazing for a film that is at this stage, what, 23 years old? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really is interesting because it didn't cross my mind remotely that anyone has not seen this film, but obviously there's loads of people who haven't, but... um Nobody who votes in the IMDb top 50, top 250, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like I, I do think it is interesting. And I, I do try to, whenever The Lighthouse or The Eye Fire or whoever show retrospectives, I do try to watch old films that I love with an audience because it's a totally different thing. Like it's it's not just about you. The, the vibe in the room completely changes how you feel about something. I mean, you still love or hate whatever, but yeah. it definitely lends something to your experience of the film. And that's, that's why... I would make the effort to go see The Shawshank Redemption, my favourite maybe film of all time, with an audience any time I can, no matter how many mm. times that is. Yeah, and just sort of sort of feel it. I think, uh, like a lot of people, if 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 it's on the telly, like it's going on, and uh, <laughs> watching it like till the end, it, 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 yeah, it's uh, well, I suppose that isn't really a very relatable experience, and it's not really something that I've done in the last ten years. But but it's one of those movies where if that were still a thing where you see we only had on ten channels telly, yeah we only had um, ten channels yeah versus like um, uh, I'm I'm just going to watch whatever I want yeah, yeah. <laughs> the paralysis of choice isn't that yeah, what it's yeah, described yeah. where you give people yeah. more options and they make fewer choices ironically yeah let, let's just toggle through a few more hundred movies first <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we'll circle back around and yeah. see what's on. Yeah, no, I can, I can sort of see that. And the Shawshank Redemption is a... And I feel... And this is why I feel like I like it a lot. And I, I feel... I want to be absolutely clear just in terms of this podcast. But I think Andrew's wittily remarked that I like the Shawshank a lot. I'm just not so keen on the redemption. But the... Um, <laughs> Based on your like your views on... Um, Baby Driver. Baby Driver and um, uh, One, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, prison was too good for that rap bastard, Baby Driver. <laughs> yeah, you weren't yet ready to reveal this for was it our second um, episode which is in the name of the father (laughs) 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 kept it to yourself my 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 prison leanings where i will always be in the sort of the side of the the guard or whatever but Uh, yeah darren (laughs) believes he should have been a better husband (laughs) (laughs) i was there going thank you andy finally gets it can we cut the credits now Uh, without getting without getting too spoilery there but no i I like it a lot and I think it's a fantastically well-made film and I think it's absolutely beautiful. I think it's like Roger Deakins cinematography is, is fantastic. It has beautiful. this and the Thomas Newman score is constructed. the score has a lot to do with, with like yeah. 
the emotional yeah. power of it. Yeah. And I mean, like, there, there were, because there are, like, I think when you when you came in, you warned us that there might be crying. And myself and Andrew were like, that's okay. We can imagine that there will be crying for this. Like, we've seen the movie. There wasn't, just... Just, just my hand say there wasn't this time. Absolutely <laughs> clear. Well, you, you have seen it only, what, three weeks yeah, ago? No, I was falling <laughs> crying when I saw it a few weeks yeah. ago. <laughs> you have emotionally sort of prepared yourself for this. Roger Deakins actually didn't get paid for this. They, um, that scene when Mr. Deakins comes in to get his taxes done, that's... that's um, No, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, Andrew, Andrew generally doesn't do a lot of research for these podcasts. <laughs> uh, okay. we, we don't tend to outsource the resources to him. Well, there were actually, I believe, some arguments between Deakins and... And Darabond during the production of this actually, because oh, wow. um, obviously Darabond was not a particularly uh, experienced film director at this point, um, and he apparently when he wrote the script, the studio originally wanted Rob Rayner, who'd done Stand by Me, which is obviously the oh, other yes. uncharacteristic Stephen King adaptation that yeah. you think of to direct it, and they offered him a bit of money, and, and Darabond said that he felt quite uncomfortable sticking to his guns about it because he felt like they could very easily just fire him and, and get a Rainer to do it anyway without paying him for it. Mm. But he managed to convince them to do it and in fact Rainer sort of mentored Reiner? him. Rainer? Is this the Rob Reiner guy who's, yes. who who did um, um, When Harry Met Sally? Um, was this was, was he? Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, did, we can did, keep going. <laughs> did he also do um <laughs> you're gonna have to a give us a podcast. You're gonna have to make uh, your... <laughs> ro- uh, Rocky mockumentary. Spinal Yes, Okay, but yeah, so... <laughs> this is the advantage of having somebody who doesn't know films as well as <laughs> on a film podcast. There's lots of dead air. Yeah. <laughs> but they did. They but basically, so he agreed to sort of mentor and sort of advise on it. But apparently, Deacons, who at that stage was working with the Coen Brothers, and I think he'd worked with the Coen Brothers since the beginning of their career. I Close think. Enough Close enough anyway. But um, Deacons had a lot of arguments with him about how he was going to shoot Shawshank. Because Darabond wanted this sort of big, vast, open canvas. And Deacons argued that what you should do is you keep the movie kind of claustrophobic and sort of tight and focused. So that, you know, without getting too spoilery, if you go outside the prison at any point in the film, you sort of open it up and the audience has this sort of wow experience. That's kind of strange because I like the Darabon sense of scale and style that you see in the film. Like, there's a wonderful scene, and again, this is a prison movie. There's a prison in it, so it's not a spoiler. But the bit where they arrive at prison for the first time, and you get this wonderful sort of like overhead shot where the camera follows yeah. the bus arriving, and it goes over the wall, and you see the inmates sort of like ants from the other side, and it's just striking and, and yeah. sort of beautiful. And it's amazing to think that like that sort of thing almost wouldn't have happened. That there would have been sort of conflict over that. That's. Um... That's the time when Brooks could have seen an automobile for the second time in his life. Oh. <laughs> he just wasn't looking out the window. He was just in the library. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he never went there for prison arrival. It's like, yeah. Yeah. how did they get here? Horse and cart? I don't know. I figure. Um, there's a, sorry. Um, there's also a shot just around that same time as Andy is walking into the prison that I think is tremendous, and it almost like maybe this came from this arg- these arguments that they're having. But it's as Andy is walking in and he's looking up and we're looking up, and it's just this gorgeous column. And it's like the height of the building, but then the sky, and the sky yeah. gets smaller and smaller and smaller yeah. into this. I know the one you're talking about exactly. Yeah, it's the one where the, the building seems to swallow the sky. It's amazing. It's gorgeous, it and is, like yeah. that's the kind of stuff that Roger Deakins, I'm sure, was like more of this, <laughs> more Shawshank, yeah, less like, redemption. You can have your overhead shot of all the prison, and yeah. everyone looks like ants. But I'm getting this, and then you're getting nothing after that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd probably be on Deakins' side in this because looking at the area shots, I thought to myself. 
probably would get out of this prison. It didn't look that, that difficult to kind of um, escape from. <laughs> yeah, the, the, like like if, if um, a little a bit a little bit more mystery about it, like the, the, um, <laughs> would, 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 um, a little bit more mystery. I like that. It's it's, but I think that the point of the shot tells you that like there is no escape because it's just this bleak grey yeah. hellhole. Like it was famously shot. Um, oh, that. Uh, Prison, like, 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 just jump over that. Yeah, wall. you could see, you could see like the fences and some of the, the like buildings that were like higher than the fences within kind of jumping distance of the fences. And I think you were watching a slightly different movie than what. Yeah, This is why I'm on the podcast, Darren. I have some experience. Yeah. Of this. Yeah. The, the, there is a there is a prison in Sligo. It's I don't think it's uh, used anymore. But we we often like break. <laughs> in and out of it um, just just to, to sort of keep limber and sort of like to keep agile it was like yeah for 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 for, for fun for, yeah. for, for for research purposes for you thought, adventure yeah you thought um, you might be recording a podcast 20 years later and yeah. you need some sort of grounded experience in for the, the sake of argument yeah. I doubt Andrew Dufresne spent his time breaking in and out of prison <laughs> beforehand <laughs> exactly. yeah yeah he, he might not the, have jumped at that the, yeah the the um the because uh, I, I I I would I would often try to go places as the as the crow flies or at least to use that as 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 like the statute of limitations is passed so it's been more than six years before I've, I've, I've ever <laughs> somehow I doubt a the property without I, I doubt the Sligo Correctional Department is listening to this podcast right now going we got him <laughs> yeah. oh, the irony like, we can finally close <laughs> this case yeah we can finally close this case. Yeah, this is live, right? Yeah. <laughs> Send the SWAT guard to his location. Yeah. Well, I mean, the location that was used famously was Ohio, uh, a former Ohio prison, mm. which was shut down in 1991 for inhumane conditions. And you can go to sort of see uh, that. Irony. Yeah, you, but you can see that from like the design. It has this wonderful sort of grey, suffocating sort of feel to it. The whole prison sort of in the film. It's not one of those nice prisons. No. <laughs> no, no, not at all. White walls and stuff. You know <laughs> yeah. those like really clinical looking prisons? <laughs> yeah. This one is stone. <laughs> Where they ask you like, what, what coffee you want with your breakfast? Yeah. You, know, you have a little breakfast bar going on. It's like, you want some gruel. We, we've got gruel. I have maggots. Would you like a maggot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not like Paddington 2 prison. Um, <laughs> the Wes Anderson prison. Paddington <laughs> <Yeah>. 2. <laughs> um, all right. Well, with that in mind then, I guess we'll sort of segue neatly into the sports zone. But I guess the only thing left to ask is, well, two questions. Uh, we normally only have one question, which is, do you think it belongs on the 250s? But because this is the film that it is, because this is the greatest film of all time, and I think you've already sort of answered this, so I, I guess this depends on what day it is that we are asking <laughs> this. Do you think that this movie belongs on the 250? And do you think it deserves to be the best movie of all time, Shirley? I just find that an impossible thing to... Yeah. Like, it's impossible. But the, what I would say about The Shawshank Redemption is that I think that it is a very easy to like film. I, you know, so yeah. it, it, very few people have problems with it. Like I know, I think. Well, I think what it has is that thing that actually Stephen King has himself, which is almost being so overrated, it's underrated, and yeah. that thing where mm. everyone loves this thing. So you're like, well, it's not that brilliant. So then yeah. you're kind of like, yeah. it's not that great. But actually, like most people do, really like this film. Maybe that makes it very pedestrian. I'm fine with that. That's totally <laughs> fine. Maybe it's not like uh, the pinnacle of artistic output, but to me, like on a on a literary level, like I think it's done so much. It's extremely rich. 
I wouldn't argue with it being the number one. I also wouldn't argue with it like being knocked off the number one slot because, uh, you know, I mean, whatever. It's it's people's taste at the end of the day. Yeah. But it is voted for by people. Yeah. And I think that it's it's an uncomplicated... I don't say it's uncomplicated. That sounds mean. But, like, it's an uncomplicated film in that, like... It's accessible, it's maybe. It's very accessible, yeah. And a lot of people have seen it. That's another thing. Yeah. Over the years, a lot of people, my, like my dad has seen The Shawshank Redemption. He's probably seen about two other films and they've been Police Academy movies. Is, so, is it true? The good Police like... Academy movies? They're all good. They're all good. <laughs> okay. Just, just in case. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just... What are you talking about? Um, I don't know. What, what? what was that? Was, was that some mixture of like Christopher Walken, Christopher Walken uh, and Bobcat Goldthwait? Yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was perfect at all three of those yeah, altogether. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the uh, is it true that not a lot of people saw this at the time? Yes, it didn't yeah. do very well at the box office. Box office, and there are lots of very arguments about why that might be. The one of them is, for example, the film didn't push its Stephen King involvement mm. because, and this is funny when you were mentioning like the two girls are like, you mean is this the same Stephen King who wrote yeah. the scary stuff? That was one of the reasons was because they felt that Stephen King was associated with horror and they didn't want people to think it was a horror movie. That's uh, a funny thing because actually when I saw it when I was very young and I was babysitting, I was like, gotta get this Stephen King film. I'm gonna watch a scary movie, and I was watching it going like. It's a scary bit, and like constantly ho- hoping there was going to be yeah. a scary bit. Is the prison haunted? Yeah, I was like, literally that, like yeah. literally, like there's something's going to happen. And then when he was playing the record, and I was like, what's going to happen? Is, is yeah. what's going to happen? <laughs> like <Yeah>. nothing. <laughs> I should have been sorely disappointed. But, but the um, movie's that good. It's that good. It was there, also there wasn't even uh, like the in 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 the Green Mile. You, you well, you, you have the supernatural. You, yeah, you have a man with magical powers to to cure people's junk, and yeah, they, 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 this this didn't have any of that. No, so it, it was it was it was it's like it was like Stand by, by Me. me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it was it was famously from one of King's collections, wasn't it? Which where he was experimenting with genre, where he didn't want yeah. to be known as the horror guy. Yeah. Um, so that's that's why it was sort of it was sort of seen as outside of his brand. Yeah. You know, there's not even like kids looking at a dead body in it, for example. No, not... uh, nothing at all. <laughs> but it was also the title was considered confusing, and that nobody knew what a Shawshank was uh, and why it needed to be <laughs> redeemed. Was it, there was also the fact that it was. It based was on, uh... Was it Rita Hayworth? The title of the novella was, yeah, Rita, Rita Hayworth, Hayworth and, and the, the Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. Yeah. Well, you think that might have done some better branding. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were like, oh, something like a, a bunch of actresses, like Frank Darabon changed the name because a bunch of actresses were like, we really want to be Rita Hayworth. Like really <laughs> high profile actors who were like, I, I think there was like some kind of story at some point where uh, a very famous supermodel was like, I have read the script. It's the most beautiful script I've ever read, and I really think I'm perfect for Rita Hayworth. <laughs> I think Frank Darabont told that story at something or on something, and I think that's amazing. So that's why they dropped Rita Hayworth from it. Yeah, because so, and somehow to make it less confusing, but they yeah. found that yeah, the Shawshank Redemption as a title was not particularly sellable as itself. There's also the fact that uh, Rita Hayworth herself was like Bobby in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can still do it. Look at this. Wow, that's exactly how she said yeah, it. Yeah, I was about to say what. what, yeah, what, what so she said like El Pacino da, da, from Beats. Um, like, okay, thank you. 
Okay, Sorry. thank you, Rita. Um, thank you for following by the podcast. Um, there was also the fact that it was a prison movie, and prison movies weren't considered to do very well at the box office because people saw them as being depressing and soul destroying and bleak, and people didn't. This one has a redemption in it. Yeah, yeah. poster, and it's all like, ah. yeah, the baptism at the end. Yeah, notably the, the big famous poster that everybody loves, which is you know a shot of one of the lead actors in the rain, doesn't feature a prison. Um, <laughs> you can see why maybe they had trouble selling the Just idea. Hot topless man in the rain, sold. Is, is he hot? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I love the way you just state that. Is he not? I don't know. That tall drink of water yeah, with a just... silver spoon up his ass. Yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's Tim Robbins. No, I don't know. I never saw. I always had that sort of like dopey quality to him, uh, like that lanky yeah, sort of like. like uh, obviously, we've been sold a certain type of beauty man. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. uh, we, We've been. We, we've um, like we're, we we haven't caught on to the the, the dad bod. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I mean, this is a podcast, so you can't see us. But well, we're, he was like, like the stupid, sexy jock in Bull Durham. What? Right? Yeah, I haven't seen Bull Durham. <laughs> stupid, Sorry. sexy guy. Like, really? I know, and he plays a lot of different things because he does play yeah. goofy quite often. But he's, uh, he's he's the I golf remember. pro in, in Bull Durham. Then is he? <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's the golf pro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah from the country yeah. club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's yeah, but he doesn't sort of remind. He has that sort of like. You could almost imagine he has that sort of like dopiness to him that I never like. He doesn't yeah, have like intensity. Like I, yeah, but okay. sometimes he has intensity. Oh. Like when he plays someone evil or like something like Arlington Road. Okay, and you're like, but in Arlington Road, he's a terrorist. I imagine yeah, like he's, he's not particularly he's sexy there to, either. Uh, well, he's sexy looking. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, that's that, I think that's I think Sarandon. most people would agree with me. All right. Um, not Susan Sarandon anymore, obviously. Oh, really? Yeah. Today, and this is this yeah, is Andrew's yeah. Hollywood illusion just shattered. Yeah, it's very Hollywood news. I yeah. liked them, although <laughs> I think they were both too kind of like second giving out and stuff, engaged with their <laughs> yeah. own sort of politics. Well, I mean, Kurt Russell and Dolly Parton still together, right? Anymore. Yes, they're still together. Okay, that that okay. gives me some something yeah. I feel. Just they like, don't find each other sexy anymore. Well, maybe they do. I'm not. I like. I feel like this is like a conversation we need to have with Andrew. Look what you've done. They split up, but do they still love each other? There's nobody on the planet who doesn't think that Susan Sarandon is so sexy. So I'm sure he thinks she's sexy. I don't know if. And apparently she she thinks he is because he's a tall drink of water. And it's just. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are we good this, with this? Well, I think, I think we're okay. I think... Up is fine, I okay, thank the, you, Andrew. I think the, in the early the... 90s, all I wanted in life was for Tim Robbins to play Batman. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting choice. I, I suppose he... actually coming off Michael Keaton, it would have worked. It would have. You know, he would have been yeah. like, what, a f- two foot taller than Keaton? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the bat suit doesn't George fit. Clooney anyway. yeah, the bat... actually, he definitely wouldn't have worked in like one of those Batmans. Yeah. But like, if Tim Burton had continued, I think we could have had a really good Tim Robbins-y Batman. Well, you know that that's one of the reasons that Bob Gunton was cast as the warden, as Warden Norton, was because he was the same size as, uh, he was one of the few actors they could find oh. who was as a comparable, like, body shape to Tim Robbins without getting too spoilery. He doesn't look like he's a very tall man, does he? No, he doesn't. I, I, I was kind of... Happy. Well, there's a missing sequence at the end where you, the camera focuses on Tim Robbins' midriff and you realise the shirt is... Bob, Bob, Bob Gunton is also the name of that uh, uh, town where um, the, the, the murder happened. Because I was looking away from the movie, <laughs> and then I looked at the screen, and it was like, Bob Gunden. And it was like, Bob Gunden, South Carolina. Yeah. Bob Gunden, Bob Gunden, Maine. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. like, like Chevy Chase. 
was it Pennsylvania? Um, all right then. So with that in mind, <laughs> Andrew, what about yourself and the Shawshank Redemption? I, How I, do you feel about it? it, it I, does it belong on the two fifty? Does it belong on the top of the two fifty? Well, like the, uh, I, as we said, we, we've 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 kind of after after season one, we've decided that uh, Ross and Rachel should get married. And, and and no one's going to uh, except for the completionists are going to listen to the podcast because we've, from, we've done from this point in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, then, and 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 I'm okay with that. It, it takes some of the pressure off. I think this movie not only is number one, but certainly um, I don't have any kind of much of an argument with it not being number one. I I think when when and when I think about some of the movies contending with it. I feel like this, this this is actually a much more kind of universal film, and I, I maybe people can use take that as a stick to knock this movie. And, and, but but like the 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 other because there there is there was a battle for for oh, yes. for number yeah. one between um, this is two thousand and eight Godfather and and Batman. So yeah. it's like, <laughs> yeah. do do you fantasize about, about being? <laughs> Didn't uh, even have Tim Robinson. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, they, um, they, like, do you do you, do you fantasize about being a vigilante or 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 a or a criminal um, kingpin? Or do you fantasize about being in prison for or being someone who's able to overcome the worst situation that you find yourself in? Both. Like Batman Who wants to do that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I I kind of. Um, I, I suppose this this is inspiring, but it also more maybe. Although I do have fantasies about being a vigilante and <laughs> getting my phone back, um, I I a very odd admission is that I sometimes do fantasize about prison, like being oh you've talked r- about this before yeah right? being like wrongly convicted and and having like all all that and you've watched the Shawshank Redemption and yes. you still have that fantasy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I feel like you maybe missed the point of the Shawshank Redemption. But, well, all that stuff with the with the young Louis C.K. looking guy uh, <laughs> were, were maybe not so appealing. But that was just for the first two years in a twenty year stretch. That's um, eighteen years of absolute bliss. <laughs> yeah, nothing bad happened after yeah, that. Yeah, right. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I feel like... That was Mark Wilson, by the way. In case, <laughs> in case listeners are having difficulty pegging the young Louis C.K. looking guy. Casting. Um, <laughs> the the um, There were so many things that um, that Andy Dufresne uh, achieved in that time in spite of in spite of being in the... The, 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 the thing that... Could, oh, we're not in the spoilers. No, we're not. We're, we're grand, getting grand. there. So, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say... I'll I'll maybe expand a bit on that weird um, <laughs> kind of um, the thing for anyone to say uh, on 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 the, the other ellipsis. side. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, that I I I love this movie, and um, and I I always wondered like why was it number one? Because I know I know I knew I had seen this movie, and I knew that I had um, enjoyed it a great deal, and knew that it was a great movie, and that it probably deserves to be in that kind of like top 20 area um like a lot of 90s movies um, as we've discussed that, yeah that, that, the golden age of the 250s yeah. being 12 in 1994 yeah <laughs> a 12 year old boy yeah. they, because they, 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 this is a movie um like um godfather and um and batman um uh, sorry dark knight dark knight it, yeah. it's a movie about men so like but most movies are and 
that's what a lot of the kind of demographic for the two fifty is. But this is a movie about uh, being being human. Yeah. It's 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 just told through um, the lens of this character. Exactly. Whereas some of the other movies that are in that same conversation or or uh, have have something inescapably masculine about them and sometimes well fight club is what 11 i think for to pick an example yeah even the likes of godfather and um, and the dark knight Knight and they've got quite coded sort of like um rules to them that sort of apply that wouldn't apply in any of our lives right so yeah something like shawshank is arguably a situation where anybody could find themselves well i mean not not even just literally but i mean metaphorically yeah like i mean and i suspect we'll talk a lot about philosophy there's gonna be some satra coming up um but (laughs) yeah i'm really good at that (laughs) don't worry one of us is one of us has actually studied philosophy here (laughs) everyone's pointing at darren everyone's pointing at darren (laughs) to be Um, clear but just before we go into the sports zone, I want to say, actually, because something both Charlene and Andrew brought up, which is this idea of the 250... Well, first of all, like, the 250 being a populist list, and that unlike, yeah. say, Sight and Sound, because when myself and Andrew decided we wanted to do a movie podcast, and we decided we wanted to do a list podcast, we sort of looked at the options of what we could have done. We did, yeah. like, the, you know, the Sight and Sound, the AFI list, all these sort of, like, 100 years, 100 whatevers. And we sort of decided that we wanted to do the 250 because, well, the 250 is dynamic and changing, but also because it's populist. Yeah. And it is sort of broad and anyone can vote on it. You don't necessarily have to have like, you don't have to be a film critic. You don't have to be a filmmaker. You don't have to have a degree in film. You don't even have to have a particularly like deep understanding of film on like a technical level. You just have to like film enough to go on the internet and vote on a little box. There. Yeah. Now we've discovered that, you know, there are certain kinds of people who are more geared towards that than others. But the, the idea of the list being populist and accessible has always been something that sort of appealed to us. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's great that you two mentioned like, the Shawshank Redemption as a film that is broad and a film that is accessible and a film that is appealing and a film that's sort of like it's not necessarily I mean Charlene you mentioned it as a film that may be your favourite film of all time but I suspect if you if you asked 20 or 30 people to name their top 50 films I imagine most of them would contain The Shawshank Redemption yeah. it wouldn't be number one but it would probably be in the top 10 top 20 or whatever and it has that sort of broad base it has that sort of like appeal that sort of resonates with people in a way that's very striking and very engaging and very sort of like I think embodies what a populist list should be you know yeah that's and, a good point actually yeah, yeah I mean it's it's for it's for the people by the people <laughs> yeah like I mean my, my parents adore the movie and yeah. and you know they we would have watched movies every weekend as a kid so it's not as if they're not film people but they're not big into films they couldn't tell you who is the biggest director working right now for example they couldn't point to they know actors like my mom's my mom had a big moment when she started recognizing Steve Buscemi um, <laughs> like that was in the mid 90s she was like he, he was, weird eyes <laughs> yeah it was no it was no longer like the lanky teeth guy it was like that's Steve Buscemi and yeah. and that sort of stuff so like the fact that the movie sort of resonates with people like that and with like with people, with friends and family, people who don't like necessarily go to the cinema religiously every week, mm. but just when they think of their favorite films, it's on there. I think that it's a testament to the list and to the film itself that it does that. Yeah. All right, then. With that in mind, then we will segue gently. Hold on. You didn't really actually give your opinion about where you think it should be on the list. That was my opinion. <laughs> that it's nice enough that it's there. Well, yeah, I, I suppose. <laughs> Fair play the, to people. The, 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 I invited Charlie on so I could avoid this. You've <laughs> <laughs> no, said enough really nice things. I think. Uh, I think your opinion is like. Well, okay. Well, we'll <laughs> my opinion is sort of spoilery, and it's not. I really like. It. I think it's very well made. My issue with the Shawshank Redemption is that to me. A lot of what people really like about it and a lot of, like, I think why people love it so much, to me personally, doesn't really feel earned. 
So I feel, yeah, I know. I feel I'm like sorry. that's something we'll get to. We'll get to, yeah, we'll get to when we talk about the spoiler okay. zone. I, I feel like if you're making, you can make a movie that is happy, that is sad, that is bittersweet, but you have to maintain that throughout. Like, and I feel like with the Shawshank Redemption, it's bittersweet for most of the movie. And then when you get towards the end without getting too spoilery, it takes a sharp left turn into incredibly saccharine sweet. And I feel like the movie maybe for me personally, uh, I'm going to keep stressing that, me personally, uh, doesn't quite earn <laughs> earn that sort of sharp left turn in a way that, that convinces me you, that it's... You don't like things that are sweet. I love things that are sweet. Um, <laughs> I adore I like things. big bags of things that I have big bags. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> while we were watching the movie, we had French fancies and donuts that uh, Charlene brought. Thank oh. you very much. Can um, we, we plug rolling donuts? Can we do that? Well, you, I, think you've just, <laughs> I, I think you've just done that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, anyway, with that in mind, then we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone. All right. Spoiler zone. So, Charlene, what is the Shawshank Redemption about for you? For me, I probably touched on this already, but for me, it's about being human, about humanity, about how people connect with other people um, and what that brings to you. So like to me, like someone like Andy Dufresne is not a people person. I think actually something that is very interesting in this film is that they don't really focus hugely on like establishing that him and Red are best friends. They're just two guys who are kind of like, yeah, that guy's cool. That guy's cool. They're, they have a lot of love for each other. But I think I like that they don't kind of really focus on that. There's yeah. just like this mutual respect, but they both learn things from each other as a result of just kind of paying attention to each other. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's that thing of opening yourself up to things and get busy living or be- get busy dying is something that, you know, I know it's like obviously the most cliche thing in the world, right? Like after so many years of this film being around. But uh, I think that for me, it is it does boil down to the fact that it's about examining humanity and what we can get from each other and how that can pay off in the most sickeningly saccharine way at the very, very end. Harsh. <laughs> Oh, in my opinion, <laughs> in your opinion. I, very delicately phrased that I've wrapped yeah. up. Tell us your opinion. <laughs> this is not about attacking anybody. Just uh, even though I did, I did say that in a really good way. I'm sorry. It's not about attacking anybody. It's just about holding people to account. Um, but no, it is. It's one of those. It's a great. You're an accountant. Account for yourself. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a great humanist fairy tale as well. Yeah. Like it's 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 a great it's a fantasy. It's a fable. You that, used the word fable earlier. Yeah. Yeah, an American sort of tall tale as well. Yeah. Like, and it has all this sort of Americana thing going mm. on in it. Like Andrew, when we talked about it at the start jokingly referred to the movies full of stuff that I genuinely love in movies which is all this vague symbolism about about stuff like the Pacific representing the end of the American West the point where you know land gives way to this big vast blue calm ocean that represents some sort of spiritual state of peace and attainment you know the idea that the prison in which they exist you know we talked about Sartre earlier or whatever but Sartre's argument Mm -hmm. that like human freedom is a state that is not it's not a constant it's something you have to work on apparently now Andrew's a philosophy like he has a degree yeah. in philosophy so but like the idea obviously, that obviously like him finding this boat at the end is him overcoming his erectile dysfunction yeah no not, not that yeah not obviously, that yeah. yeah I mean that yeah. was a little bit uh, on the nose um, okay no but it more represents like the, the end of so he pushes westwards like he's in Maine Maine is in the east and all this sort of stuff so he travels across America in order to be free and he finds his freedom at the very edge of the North American continent outside the borders of America itself 
on the Pacific Ocean, its name meaning peace, its body being big and blue, and it's just, you know... There's it's no been, memory. It, no it's memory, yeah. It's got he's no also me- free of the world of banking. <laughs> he's, free <laughs> totally. of like, he's free of capitalism. I, I know he robs yeah. the money, but like, he's free of capitalism, and now he's just like, I'm doing whatever I want now. Yeah, he's, he's in a sense. freedom. He's, he's redeemed in more ways than one. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> and there is this sort of, this, this wonderful spiritual thing that runs through this. I mean, Mark Commode wrote a little book on this. We talked about, when we did The Thing, we talked about Anne Bilson's book that she did for The Thing. Uh, Kermode, I believe, did something similar for Shawshank Redemption for the BFI. Uh, we'll include the links in the show notes. But uh, one of his arguments is, and it is a really great argument, that is that basically the film is in many ways, and I think it ties back into this idea of the story of an American sort of fable or tall tale, is that it's infused with this sort of sense of Christianity and that Andy Dufresne is basically this Jesus figure. It's this, like, right down to the bit, and now that we can talk about the spoilers, his mysterious disappearance from the little cave or cell at the end where he seems to vanish into thin air and then is resurrected and reborn in a baptism. And uh, But there's all this sort of... <laughs> literally never thought that ever like, that's the <laughs> obvious <laughs> thing ever okay but but there is a cruciform sort of but he has this he it's sort so of <laughs> but yeah but it, and it, even this stuff that that happens throughout the film where you have like this this argument about like how what, what Andy does is Andy brings hope into Shawshank with him, into the world. Like, he brings... The, the world is this grey, dull, material place. It's that classic RoboCop story. Yeah. <laughs> An obligatory RoboCop reference. Sorry. <laughs> um, but it is... Our archetypes, this kind of Joseph Campbell stuff. There's the yeah. RoboCop and there's the... <laughs> <laughs> the, the... The atonement with the RoboCop father. Um, I think that's what George Lucas was working from, right? But you do have this sense of, like, the world is this cold gray place and and like it is Shawshank it's a prison it's this materialist world built of concrete and rock and stuff like that and what happens is you have this outside figure Andy Dufresne who arrives in and who is separate from the world and like you have this discussion where Red talks about how like everybody thinks he's a bit up himself but he's got like he's protected by this shield from the world around him like he's he's in the world but not necessarily of the world and through that he sort of transcends and like there's an argument he made that like the big heroic journey in Shawshank as much as like the story focuses on Andy and as much as the narrative is built around Andy like the actual character transformation in the film is largely Red because it's Red who has the big moment at the end where he is redeemed, where he admits his sins in front of the parole board, and he actually talks about what he did and how he feels bad about it, and then basically gets to be released. And this is the thing that plays throughout the film. Like, Andy um, decides he's getting out of Shawshank quite early in the film. He decides um, when he scratches his name on the wall with a rock hammer and he discovers that the wall is fake, and, well, the wall's not fake, but the wall could be eroded and chipped away. And basically, like, for the rest of the film, he's chipping away at that bit by bit. Mm -hmm. And, like, he may have moments of self-doubt. He may be, like, when Tommy dies, he has this moment of despair and stuff like that. But, like, Andy is committed to this idea of getting out. And he's committed to this idea that he's not going to stay there forever, even if he gets a final push from the warden at the end. Yeah. It's Red who's changed by his encounter with Andy. Mm. And, like, Andy basically brings in this idea and he makes the world a better place. He educates people. He reforms the library. He teaches them to read. He engages with humanist philosophy. I mean, even the people in Shawshank, when he arrives, his fellow inmates are, like, betting about which of the guys are going to cry yeah. first which ends with a, one of the one of the inmates being murdered on his first day in by one of the guards like being goaded to cry by by William Sadler but then at the end they have this sort of humanist quality to them where they're they're welcoming and they're friendly and they love yeah. each other and they're even they're telling stories even about Andy. 
Yeah, from 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 the Sopranos. <laughs> felt that very like uh, conflicted about that when it's like menacing, <laughs> when it's like smiling and and like uh, people are like giving up their back to him and yeah. like turning around and you can see him smiling and <laughs> nodding and laughing and you're like, no, I've seen I've seen the Sopranos. <laughs> I know how this. I know how this won't end well. Well, I mean, you say that as if the film doesn't contain other people cast against sorts. Like William Sadler at this point was just was off. Die Hard 2 where he was introduced <laughs> doing naked press ups like with a, with a body that you could grate cheese on playing the lovable idiot um, it's like and yeah and then you have uh, Ali McBeal oh Gil Bellows in his, in his the, screen debut he, he popped it? in he popped in when Brad Pitt dropped out Brad Pitt was originally supposed to play that role really? but he'd just done Thelma and Louise and he felt that he was suddenly too big to be playing you know guy who gets murdered midway through <laughs> Brad Pitt would have been really good in that I don't know. I think I think Bellows was very was good. I think really Bellows good. worked really, really well. Oh yeah, no, I'm trying to it, imagine it, Brad Pitt in that role and find it. Yeah, because he's, <laughs> he's, he's 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 too. It's like I imagine the burn after reading <laughs> character almost. <laughs> if you're looking back at it as a formative movie, and it's like, oh gosh, I always had these kind of um, sexy thoughts about. Yeah, yeah, I know. Tim Robbins. (laughs) 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 Not Brad Pitt. (laughs) Or Gil Bellows, Ali McBeal guy. Um, But he he does. He basically comes in and he changes these people Uh, and he leaves. And it's it's, I'm I'm glad, by the way, that that Tim Robbins is 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 a, a a sex symbol. If you if if you're that tall and have good hair. And you're Tim Robbins, and life <laughs> is good for you. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you, listener, dear, dear constant listener. Um, but I, I do think though that that is one of the things about, it. and it's interesting that you have that contrasted with like the warden's Christianity, which is obviously much yeah. more, as you point out, it's much more theatrical, it's much yeah. more showy, it's also much falser, and it's got this sort of like this. You point out this hypocrisy. Yeah. I think it's something that's common in discussions and depictions of religion is this idea that people who claim to be the most pious and who impose their piety upon others um, are generally yeah. <laughs> are generally um, hiding something or being cynical or sort of aspire. You know, they're mm. never what they claim to be, and you get a lot of that in in the film. Yeah, uh, yeah. There are, there are several strands in our kind of um, broadly Christian society of of of. I suppose a very high standard to live up to, and then you 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 find all of these examples, unfortunately, in our own culture, where it's gotten to a point where people have lost all. Where many people, faith, have, yeah. yeah, yeah, because the 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 whole idea of one's relationship to God is become so packaged with that re- relationship to an institution. So when the institution kind of, and here we are talking about institutions. Yeah, but um, well, I don't think that's I don't think that's unintentional. Like, no, Shawshank Shul- no. is not just a prison; it's it's an embodiment of like every other organized structure ever. It's, yeah, um, there is. I think um, I find I'm, I'm a kind of a discursive thinker, and I found my mind going lots of different places watching this movie. I remember thinking about the power of habit and the the um, the letters each week 
and they're chipping away at the at the wall well, for, 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 for 20 years. Well, the great image, and it's a great recurring image that recurs throughout the film of the gravel on the ground. And you, you see it even when, when yes. uh, Brooks leaves the prison, when he's scratching his own name, you get that wonderful camera shot of the dust landing on his feet. Yeah. And there's this sense, and, and as Red talks about it, you know, it's pressure and time. Yeah. But you have this idea of like slowly eroding, and mm. the idea that an individual inside an institution can, through perseverance and through sheer force of will, yeah. like break through the rock and sort of scratch through you don't do it by force you don't do it no. through these grand gestures you do it through pressure and time pressure and time <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what a life is yeah. it's a yeah. series of uh, uh, seconds minutes hours days uh, years decades and and it can it can feel like um, your effect is very small but the persistence and um uh, this, this 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 kind of force of 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 habit and this dedication that that there's so many kind of stories outside of uh, prison of these people who've who've dedicated their lives to something and that nothing that no obstacle is so great that's that's that it's 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 an inspirational story, which is which yeah. is why you hate it so much, there. Um, <laughs> because I have no heart, uh, as as we've already but, established. And, uh. and I guess the thing about it as well is, I feel like I I I might be wrong. Apart from um, apart from those uh, difficult first two years, I feel like this 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 could have been a story <laughs> about women uh, equally, as it, as in it could have it could have been a a story about a, a woman in uh, a prison with other women i imagine you could have had the first two years as well to yeah. be honest without well, getting to yeah, yeah, without, well, yeah, yeah yeah without getting what 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 i mean by that is that the, the these are the kind of things that men do to women and that in the case of this movie men to do to other men and and women do to women as well in institutions as well yeah yeah, yeah. I, 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 it, do you mean it, that it's kind of it is this it's a film that's without the the kind of Sorry, that's, that's actually a very good point there. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, yeah the, 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 there's there's all of the horrible cases of the Magdalene laundries, which will yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course it do, it does happen obviously, yeah. but yeah. but actually that is the one the sisters the, those characters they're the one kind of thing that is that brings up the idea of masculinity and toxic masculinity within prison because actually everything else is quite just like. Yeah, people doing unpleasantries or or pleasantries or whatever, mm. but it's not a particularly masculine no. film for a film no. that's about a load of men and like locked up together with no real yeah, female yeah. characters. Like it's I mean, it's not about like any kind yeah. of like masculine hierarchy or like no. get the best of each other or anything like yeah. that. I think. Or show of strength or anything like that. It's, yeah. it's like even compared to other prison movies, like compared mm-hmm. to that sprawl in Cell 99 at the moment, which is out in cinemas, where Vince Vaughn tears a car apart with his bare hands, for example. <laughs> or even just like when you have Clint Eastwood and Escape from Alcatraz or stuff like yeah. that. It's got none of that sort of... It, it's like brawny, isn't no, it? No, it's all? not. And like <laughs> if you look at the two leads, like Tim, yeah. Tim Robbins, who is a tall glass of water with a silver spoon up his ass, yeah. he's not a conventionally rugged man. And it's not like he goes in and he, be- he picks the biggest guy and he beats the hell out of him. Red is is a smuggler and, yeah. and he gets by and he gets by through trading and dealing and stuff like that how how um our friends in another podcast um 
when Irish eyes are watching. When Irish eyes are watching, how did they feel about uh, about Morgan Freeman's por- portrayal of an, an Irish, Irish American? <laughs> His accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, well, that's the thing. It's in, in the uh, in the novel, obviously, the character Red was red haired, yeah. which is why he was called Red, and yeah. he was yeah. of Irish extraction, and that's why preserving the the name in the movie and that joke was there was because it was a nice little callback to that. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a sweet thing that they left that in. Actually, yeah. I like that. I also like that it's not a film about race at all no. like no. it doesn't remotely come into it at all and I think there should be more films like that where we just cast black actors playing a guy yeah I mean I don't see why that's not a thing at all you just don't see it that much particularly actors of, of Morgan Freeman's caliber exactly. you like, can drop him into an Irishman role it doesn't make a difference it's yeah, fine like, you <laughs> would probably be better than most actors in that role <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, if you have to sit through Sean Connery's attempt at an accent in like Darby O'Gill and the Little yeah. People um, <laughs> but, um Brad Pitt in Devil's Own. Yeah, it's funny actually. Isn't he in like t- he's he's also in the 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 Dark Knight. Yeah. So he's he, his representation on the two fifty. Yeah. Well, like, well, 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 Morgan Freeman is one of those actors who is and, more of an institution than an actor at this stage. And in 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 the Dark Knight, he's playing another character that's that it's it's procuring things yeah yeah but but also um it's it's a character that could could have been written as as white irish it could have been written yeah. as, as yeah. african-american yeah yeah maybe uh, it's a deliberate choice that he makes yeah it makes sense yeah but, i mean this was one of the movies that established him driving miss daisy had been mm. two years earlier i believe yeah, yeah. Uh, but this was sort of the one i think where people started really this like, people started to love him yeah, yeah. this was like when, when morgan freeman became like when they're doing Bruce Almighty, when they cast Morgan Freeman as God, you're like, that's perfect casting. <laughs> um, and I suspect that's off the back of like this, because yeah. it's just, he's, everybody in this movie is particular cast. Yes. You know, if well, nothing else, like his voiceover is the voice of God. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's like... it. I mean, how much of the Shawshank Redemption is voiceover and how much of it is exposition delivered through voiceover? Which, like, if you're God. going by, yeah, if you're going through the, you know, the stock screenwriting rules of no, no voiceover, voiceover. you should be able to explain, mm. like, that should be enough to kill a movie dead. But because it's Morgan Freeman. Yeah. He can sell it and it plays. So they, play, they play with it as well. Yeah. Like stuff like when the narrator, as like, you know, the voice of God type notion, um, is saying, like, it'll take a guy 500 years to, like that. So you, yeah. you instantly in your head, you're like, well, that's obviously not what the rock is for. Yeah. And that's tricking you. Yeah. Such it's, a clever voiceover. But it, <laughs> it's, it was recorded before they started filming really? and played on set. So like that's amazing. Yeah, but then it was really bad recording, so they had to re-record it again <laughs> later. But uh, but that's that's how pulled together that story was was that that voiceover existed beforehand. Yeah. Um, so I think that sort of plays into this idea of like we talked about it repeatedly as a folk tale because it is it's almost like an oral. Yeah. Like you could almost listen to Morgan Freeman narrating Shawshank Redemption on tape. Oh and yeah. He plays. A, he it's a kind of a funny trick that Morgan Freeman has because you would think. Okay, it's Morgan Freeman. It's the best like narration that you could have in a movie. So to put it in an already movie, that already good movie that would just be gilding the lily. <laughs> so it's like, oh, it's like this movie, Penguins. Everyone loves Penguins. Everyone's going to love this movie. Do we need a Morgan Freeman <laughs> narration? Probably <laughs> not. Why would you not? Just put it in. Are you sure we won't be overdoing it? Put it in and see what it's like. It's even better. <laughs> yeah, like what? It's it's uh, it's an astounding ability that the man has, and like yeah. it's not as if like voiceover is his only field of like expertise. He's oh, also just a really everything. great writer. Yeah, he's a really great actor. So he's a fantastic yeah. actor. He's brilliant, and he brought so much to 
Red, which is a secondary character, I guess, yeah. but he brought so much to him. And I, I also think that the the kind of voiceover thing lends to this mythological idea yeah. of Andy Dufresne being this like thing that came in and like changed. Yeah, and like I love that bit towards the end where um, Haywood is it Haywood? Yeah. Yes, um, uh, is like telling the story about the beers, and he's like, and he just has, and he says, you know, he's gonna have himself an accident, and it's like people. <laughs> Talking about Andy when he's gone, like he was this like mythological guy and they're telling the new people. Yeah. And I think that that is something that the um, the narration sets up really nicely as well. Is like, I'm going to tell you a story about this guy, yeah. Andy Dufresne. Yeah. And that's why it works. I think it doesn't feel, it feels like it was, it, it deserves the narration. Yeah. The story. And part of it, well, in terms of like talking about like Nesta's story structure and stuff like that, is the Shawshank Redemption in some ways, and this is where Darren is reaching a little bit, a film about film. Because there's this recurring. I don't like theme. this contention that you're that you're making. You, you've said it a number of times that it's a fantasy and you know, it's a tall tale, as if something like this could never happen. They, 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 it feels very grounded. I think. They, they, sorry, sorry. They, well, I mean, the narration, the the music, the the whole feel of the movie, the that texture sort of, of stuff it. doesn't generally happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rarely just yeah. in my life. <laughs> yeah, real life is very, very rarely filmed by Roger Deakins. Yeah, it's like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it does it feels like a movie like it yeah. doesn't feel like um you know like it doesn't cinema f- verite like it's, yeah, it's yeah. a big it's not, it's not movie it's not movie. yeah it's not like say Christopher Nolan's version of Shawshank Redemption no. which will be a lot Frank grittier Capra's version yes that's it exactly yeah. and that, that's exactly what I think Darabont had in mind because he cited like Capra's Definitely. films like It's yeah. a Wonderful Life or Mr. Smith Goes to Washington yeah and, and he argued that yeah they're part of like an American mythology and well mm. like those particular okay obviously there's an angel in in, uh, in, in It's a Wonderful <laughs> Life I like the way you, you were thinking the same thing it's like, you don't is believe it, in angels is It's a Wonderful Life uh, actually that unrealistic but I mean <laughs> stuff like Mr. Smith goes to Washington or whatever but you, yeah I think that the fact that in terms of it not being realistic I feel like there's a lot in the movie and this is where Darren is this is where Darren is going to get slightly cynical is like the the stuff that I complained about earlier which is the the movie's sort of sharp left turn towards saccharine and the fact that everything in it seems particularly like it works out in the best possible way like one of the big changes for example between the short story and the film is that in the short story, I believe, Tommy, who has evidence that Andy... Brad Pitt. Yeah, in the novel. Yeah, in the, the novel is Brad Pitt. Or in the novella. But, yeah, it's, um, but in the short story, the warden, when the warden has his conversation, and like, Are you sh- you're sure about this, this is definitely what you saw, You definitely what you heard, you would testify to that. In the, novel, in the novella, he buys him off with a transfer to a minimum security prison and a very cushy, like, end of sort of, you know, serve the rest of your sentence in peace and tranquility in this lovely place. And Tommy goes, okay, fine, I forget that I ever saw that. Um, whereas in the film, Tommy, who is this young criminal who's, like, been stealing televisions, has been in and out of prison all his whole life, is so committed to this ideal of Andy being, like, worth saving that his, his response is, you know, even in this kind of really creepy conversation yeah. on having outdoors with the warden by himself without any guards, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to get myself shot for that. But there's even, like, stuff like the ending. It could have been worse. You know, like, um, this is, what, 1966, 1966? At that stage, yeah. Are people going to Vietnam at this point? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's either in prison or he's going to Southeast That's Asia. That's a fair point. I'd yeah, much the, rather be in Shawshank. I, I, I do like the idea that Warden Norton's backup plan was, okay, Saigon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's testifying. Okay, he's enlisted. Yeah. Um, 
But like, I do feel there's a lot of that in the way the, the movie That's plays where out. Hadley would be some use. Yeah. But um. particularly at the end, where like, for example, um, you know, obviously Andy Dufresne has created this this fictional persona through paper and yeah. through birth certs, and then he actually just walks in and empties the bank all in the space of a single morning, in which he's a wanted fugitive from Shawshank, in which his picture should presumably be all over the billboards. It looks totally different. He's got a suit. <laughs> and nobody his wearing hair a suit. Is neat. Nobody wearing a suit in 1966 could possibly be up be to no good. Yeah, There's no Martin. way. Yeah. I, I, I love okay. the I love the <laughs> idea of the bank manager being like, well, it looks like him, but the guy in the photo is not wearing yeah, a suit. Yeah, he's not wearing a suit. His hair looks <laughs> much nicer in real life. No, yeah, Norton would obviously have rang the bank, and you know that fake guy I set up to, to <laughs> defraud the the, the state and private investors of all that money. If he comes in. Don't give him all my money because he'll ruin me. All this fraud. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, he does all that in the space of a morning, which is something from a tall tale. Like, it feels like something that is unreasonable and unrealistic. Or the fact that he manages to get across the border somehow despite being a wanted fugitive. That sort of stuff. Like, there is an element had, of... He had, he's got, like, the passport that uh-huh. says okay. Randall Stevens. So all right. They would be like, I don't know any wanted fugitives called Randall, Randall Stevens. Stevens. <laughs> despite the fact that Randall Stevens has just been indicted as part of an investigation into Warden Norton's scam. Got away way before then. Okay. <laughs> way before then. Okay, but I think that really this point... He's driving from the age This is the age of North by Northwest and Catch me if you can <laughs> <This is true. laughs> well, yeah, the answer is no you won't yeah. um, the, the, um, he's I, wearing a suit therefore he's worthy yeah, of why, didn't, why yeah. didn't you just text somebody <laughs> <laughs> but no this is like I'm, this isn't a complaint to be absolutely 100% clear right I'm not complaining about it I'm saying more this is what establishes the film as a sort of a fantasy sort of tall tale it situation you to want to be yes. on board with it yes that's yeah. it exactly and I don't yeah. think that's unfair or unreasonable but I do think that prevents it from being like seeming grounded or realistic not realistic but seeming grounded and anchored in the real world like this is a story that it sounds like like red could be telling a bunch of mates you know when he's down in mexico it's like uh yeah. my mate andy let me tell you a story about my mate andy it's like and then you tell the story and you you watch it unfold i don't, I don't think that criticism stands up it's not a criticism I, it's an observation i, 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 I don't I, I i don't think that observation stands okay up. I, 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 I i think I think there there's so much in in life that's far more fanciful than 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 this um, fictional story. I, 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 um, I, I don't I don't think it gets into that zone where it's like where it starts becoming ridiculous. <laughs> where, for example, you have a giant prisoner who can heal Tom Hanks's junk. It's not Fast and Furious, <laughs> eh? <laughs> yeah, because that's the benchmark for. Like, <laughs> Like Andrew gets up to the border of Fast and Furious 8 and it's like yeah. too far. It's like, how are you going to get to Texas? You're going to drive this car out of the plane. <laughs> and, and, Maybe and, Andy did do that. And, yeah. and put, uh, put parachutes on That's how he on, got over the border. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. But anyway, they so you cut that because they felt it would be too. It would be too uh, much. Well, yeah. interestingly enough, like one of the things that there was a lot of this stuff that was handled in post and stuff. Like, because in fairness to the studio, they did trust. They actually trusted Darabont quite a great deal because he was a writer who'd worked mm. like he'd, he'd done good work, and they really liked the script and stuff. But there was a lot of discussion about the end of the film, right? Where Darabont originally wanted the film to end with the shot of Red on the bus, which is the penultimate scene almost, I think. Yeah. Um. So when he's on the bus, talking about how he's so excited he could barely sit still on the trip. Yeah. Um. Um, 
And what they found was, well, there was an argument with the producers while they were filming, which was like, well, okay, but the audience needs payoff. The audience needs to actually see that Andy is okay. The audience needs to know that it's not just Red telling us the whole story about how he wants to believe yeah. that, that, you know, Andy got out. So they shot the scene on the beach down in, in Mexico. And um, apparently... Like, how much did this cost? <laughs> well, but, uh, well, no, I mean, you, you say that as if, like, fixing a movie in, in post-production or doing this sort of stuff in order to cut it out isn't something that happens a lot in Hollywood. I mean, like, Justice League. But anyway... Can we also do this in Maine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, not a lot of people know this. But, uh, Mexico. Yeah, yeah. It's just a little bit of sunshine. A little bit of, we, we, we put some blue dye in the Atlantic the Ocean and it just worked beautifully. was editing the movie in Barbados. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Robbins happened to be joining him for yeah. a drink. But um, what they found was that they did screen it for test audiences and they found that, yeah, the test audiences much preferred the version with the beach scene over the one with Red travelling, hopefully, and, and hoping yeah. to arrive. And I sort of... That sort of also feels to me like a like a tall tale. It feels like... It feels... I don't know, I just... And maybe this is my criticism of the film. Which version maybe. of the movie would you prefer? I would much where pref- Red kills himself. Let's <laughs> not even go down that well, my, my, <laughs> I was waiting for the big reveal when, when Andy's like, you know, uh, when you go to the field in Maine, there's going to be a rock that doesn't look like it belongs there, and under there's going to be a box, and open it, there's something in there for you. I was waiting for Red to open it and discover a note saying... I killed my wife. <laughs> but no, 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 I'm not waiting for that version of the film. Sorry. But I, I actually, I like the ambiguity of Red traveling and traveling hopefully. Like having, like I feel like Red's story, is it's enough for Red to want to go to Mexico and to believe that he will find Andy there mm. without the movie patting you on the back and telling you that he did find Andy That's there. Such a nice payoff though. Their faces, those two men's faces when they see each other. It's so nice. Why would you not want to see that? Why would you not want to see that? Because I'm a monster. You're a monster. I'm a monster. Why would you not? It's just, I mean, because actually your point is totally valid. Like there is a lovely ending in red in on the bus looking really like happy. having purpose and then like, it goes out onto the beautiful yeah. ocean and you know you know what my, my my question is though after they hug it's like what do we do now he's gonna help them with his boat <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And, and running the, the hotel and it's running really the- lovely. Okay. All right. I am a monster then. Um. <laughs> I, I think. Yeah. I, I just. I think your your point is completely valid, and I I wouldn't disagree with it. I would just say that like there is no part in my heart. <laughs> that would ever want the world to exist where we don't get to see those men's faces that and light okay. up so beautifully and they but they handled it so well and like you know you, you did say it's a bit saccharine but actually they really give you so little they, they pop over there carry those back, back and you're like oh I just want to see them hug for a second really close <laughs> and it's the ocean it's not like a memory of Alan Green who's Alan Green I just want a close up on his face yeah. <laughs> like there's there's what like what other versions of the movie there, there's, there's the bit when when it doesn't end there and they have like an extra bit where it's like yeah, wild things <laughs> where, where they end up killing each other um, when they um, get sick of carrying people's bags up the stairs in the hotel yeah, <laughs> um, yeah where, 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 where they get on well for a year 
And then Red gets a girlfriend and starts spending all the time with her. Um, the bit where they realize the only thing they have in common is that they were in prison together. And it's like, where do we take the relationship from here? Um, and he's like, I can just get my own again. posters now. So uh, thanks for all that, though. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Great. Um, it was just an HMV, though. Yeah, so. I have your, uh, don't worry, I'll buy you a ticket. You can go anywhere you want. Um, You're like the Sears Roebuck of a place that doesn't have Sears Roebuck. <laughs> It doesn't need Sears yeah. or already has a Sears Rover. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, but anyway, so to segue gently away from this point where Darren feels like a monster for not, you know, for feeling like the, the scene of the two men hugging each other and loving each other and getting that catharsis at the end of the movie. Um, <laughs> Come on. There you go. But um, is, is The Shawshank Redemption in some ways a movie about movies? So is it a movie... Like, that suggests, and it happens repeatedly over the course of the film, that one of the ways in which the characters escape Shawshank, quite literally in the case of the Rita Hayworth poster, (laughs) is that they escape through art. So you have, for example, the last time the sisters attack um, Andy at the end of the two-year, the first two-year stretch, is in the projection room while they're screening Gilda. Mm -hmm. Um, Later on, you have, for example, Andy playing the music over the speaker system, which the characters talk about, like, in some ways making them feel like the walls fell away and they escaped and they sort of flew away. You have even, like, Andy smuggling in a harmonica for Red so Red can play music that will in some ways you know not conforming to prison stereotypes at all but will allow him to escape prison in his own way shape or form I, like I remember, I remember uh, think about that that scene where where he's like oh yeah the, the, it was worth it and and you know the music's in here and 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 and, and, and it's up here and and him saying oh come on didn't didn't you have you never felt that way about music? And I think about Red saying, "Sure, when I was a child and played the tuba." <laughs> and then the, the next scene being like, uh, uh, "There's a little special uh, spe- special gift for you." And it's like, "Wow, you, probably, yeah. you went you went all out on this. Thank you very much." I went to one of your competitors, and by the way, he's doing very well now after that tuba. Um, you don't want to know. How we got this in um but yeah i, I feel like there's it's an convenient argu- there's an argument to be made that and even the fact that like his tunnel out of shawshank is behind a poster of these women from these films yeah. like obviously uh rita hayworth at the start mm-hmm. uh but obviously marilyn monroe mm-hmm. from uh some like it hot and raquel welsh from was it 2000 day whatever BC, that's or, called the, the, yeah the dinosaur the one yeah, yeah. that one you, you know what it but is actually interestingly in the book it's like Linda Ronstadt or someone so it's not a, a film person so that might ah, be a reason for that well also one of the reasons was I think they changed the film because they could only get the rights to Gilda um, <laughs> in the film the, the film is different <laughs> than the novel because the only film that they could get the rights to was, was Gilda. Gilda interesting but yeah I, mean, like I think that's that an argument for sure like I definitely oh, I, 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 I was just going to say I agree with Red she does with her hair. She yeah. does with her hair. Yeah. It's great. It's <laughs> it is great. Yeah. No one would argue that. Absolutely. Like, there, there, there is something kind of wrong with Andy that... <laughs> that he's able to converse during that scene. Yeah, yeah. That may, that's maybe what makes him such a great financial mind. <laughs> he has this beautiful wife, but he somehow manages to be distant to her. <laughs> and so, oh yeah, that's a great movie. I've he's seen cool. It guy Andy he's though cold. like he is oh he is ridiculous he's not a guy who like I mean 
he had those posters, not for the reasons that most prisoners might have beautiful women on their walls. I'm sure yeah. they might thought- utilize them as such, but they they were there as part of a plan. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I was sort of wondering when I was watching this time around, like one of the big questions that came to mind was, he knows that Warden Norton is a religious-minded individual, right? Yeah. So surely the first time that he gets the poster and puts it up, there's a chance that Norton will tear it down. Yeah. Um, so surely should he not have got a big I poster wonder, of Jesus? I did he wait, though? Well, like, kind of, oh, until it had like, been there a couple of months. Until, until it actually got to the point where someone checked it and were like, oh, you're grand. And oh, then right. was like, okay, actually, I'm just going to go yeah, now, now I think, yeah. Because I don't think that Andy was a man who was kind of like, I'm going to tunnel under, <laughs> I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. I think he was like, might as well be trying. Yeah. I'm looking for a project. This is the thing I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to just start doing this. So he wasn't going to take two pressure. months out and do some chess pieces. Yeah. And, uh, it feels like a lot of thought went into it, as in, what would a human being put on? <laughs> because yeah. it's funny that... Uh, Red that likes it. this girl, so that's the type of girl that I should put on my wife. <laughs> exactly. Andy's, like, Andy's cold, rational mind. No one's going to tell this. cold, rational mind. <laughs> I mean, like, this is no one's going to tear it off the wall because they're not going to say, Whoa, what's this picture of Einstein, nerd? Who's going to pull it down? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, one, one of my, while I was researching this, I discovered online that there are some hardcore truthers out there who believe that Andy Dufresne is actually a sociopath who murdered his wife very convincingly and very skillfully. And, and in fact, love these people. And, and that the Shawshank Redemption is actually the story of a murderer who goes free through manipulating the people around him. Um, when you describe <laughs> him as cold, I sort of, I sort of flash back to that. But I think that's what, one of the things that makes that the film work. Yeah, is that Andy isn't this like lovely lad who comes in and he's full of warmth and he gives every like he yeah, gives people things, but he doesn't. That would have been saccharine. But he's yeah. cold and he's weird, and you don't a hundred percent know that he didn't kill his wife like, yeah well, the film is stru- we the fil- still don't really know well, we, well the film is, is structured in such a way and i really appreciate it that you, the first hour you could conceivably believe that he did um in yeah. that because you have the shot of him in the car with the gun yeah. for example and stuff like that um so you get a sense that he could possibly have done and the fact that even like later on he playfully says oh i'm innocent like everybody yeah. else in here but like i think it's clear the film very clearly intends for you to believe that he didn't particularly when he breaks do down believe, with red- do you believe tommy 100 percent? it's not that i believe tommy it's that i believe him when he has the breakdown with red at the wall because Tommy, you yeah. know, could conceivably be lying, but the bit where he goes to Red and he explains that he feels guilty for not loving his wife as much as he should have, and he didn't care for he her, killed. and he drove her away. <laughs> yeah. I'm not actually one of those truthers, but, but I, you're I, getting I, it. I, do, yeah. I get what people, yeah. why people are saying that, but I think that's kind of a strength in the film, is that you, I'm sure someone could sit here and argue that yeah. he definitely killed his wife, and I'd be open to that, whatever. But I, I think that his lack of like warmth yeah. is something that makes you appreciate that he's the person who's giving people hope and as in it's not coming from a person who's like bouncing in doing a show tune it's yeah. this weird guy who's like you know the Shawshank Redemption just, starring Jim Carrey there's nothing, yeah, like, there's nothing that, shallow about it yeah. No, yeah, he, and, but, and actually going back to what you were saying about bringing hope and redemption through art yeah. that that is what he comes in and he's like this intellectual but he's cold but he has this thing in him and it he brings that with him and it is art is a huge thing of what he brings in he even brings in Hank Williams when he's requested to <laughs> you know, well, he, he, what he man does doesn't it. suffer to bring art to exactly. the people <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that um, I do think that that is that is a really valid point that 
the power of art, therefore the power of cinema, therefore you should just get on board with this film because it's a piece of I, cinema. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to give you hope in your life. <laughs> I feel like, why is this turned into an... I, my, my point is always that this is a very well-made film, which I like a lot. Um, no, but I, I do actually think that that, yeah. uh, that would be what I would say to you, is that <laughs> I think that maybe the film is dependent on hope. Yeah. Hope is a strong theme. So I think that it it earns it in that way. It earns you giving it that because it's belief in the plot is the same as belief in yourself. <laughs> or your the, yeah. the power of something to overcome adversity. Yeah, to want to believe in it. You have to yeah. want to believe. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that you have any interest in things that have slogans like I want to believe but you know yeah I mean well, I can't imagine I know I yeah. can't imagine why that would be um... what would Mulder do <laughs> there's a great Mulder would probably last about two months as Shawshank I think um... he's a tall drink of water too <laughs> <laughs> with a silver spoon up his ass um... anyway sorry. totally digressing there's... there's a great faith in this movie in the power of human memory as well go on it's it's the there's like a few moments where like it it, it makes me feel a little bit self-conscious about my power to remember things like important things when um, <laughs> what is like yeah there was was four years ago i was doing a stretch of two years for um, <laughs> So, and that, and that where, for where, oh, where this yeah. one guy who I was roommate with one time told me a story. Yeah, yeah and the and, story and contained I, just enough pertinent details that when you mentioned those three details, that, you know, it was a murder and pinned on an accountant, that it was a golf pro who was killed, that, that it was yeah. shot with a gun. I was yeah. like, yep, yeah, those pieces clicked into place. I love the fact that Tommy I mean, struggled to get his, like, leaving his sort of, like, high school graduation <laughs> but he's got like this the savant memory for like crime it's just like yeah. <laughs> a few little weird insta- like there's I, like your I, man I, says uh, lawyer me and then like years later and he's like a lawyer me wink and you're like what? you remember that <laughs> how, how often do you use that story I feel like, like a random little joke <laughs> Hayden's sitting there going wait, wait, what why, why are you winking at me and yeah like, did I say that? Oh. <laughs> that was five years ago and I was playing catch with someone yeah, <laughs> she was probably like 15, right? She was like... <laughs> Andy seemed a bit odd the other day. Seemed kind of deranged, but I paid perfect attention to the nonsense he was talking about <laughs> some tree in a field in some town. Yeah. <laughs> with, with a name that I remember perfectly. Yeah. And, then, and we'll repeat out loud as I'm reading the letter. It's funny, like at the letter, you remember the name of that town, don't you? And he's, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> if that was me, I'd be like, uh, on me, is it a Z uh, or an A? Spinal Tap. Yeah. The name of the town was Spinal Tap. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, okay, let's, let's again uh, remember that we're supposed to be on board with everything. Because <laughs> yeah. really, like, there is a lot of things that do have, you could, you could pick so many holes but in you, people's memories. You can totally remember things like sometimes I'm surprised at the things I do remember. Yeah. And, and, I don't. and again, I would argue this is another example of how it feels like an, a sort of a story told in the oral tradition where people need to remember exactly what they need to remember. And it's as if like the time that Andy spends in Shawshank that you don't see on screen doesn't happen. Like mm-hmm. the reason that Hayden remembers that wink, wink, nudge, nudge, lawyer <laughs> me bit is because he only said it an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like when you're telling a joke. Like if you're telling a joke and you circle back around, it doesn't matter that time has passed for the characters involved. It's because the audience heard that 
you know, set up line a minute ago. And therefore you're circling back around to it. It doesn't matter that for the characters involved, it's been, what, weeks or months, depending on how involved and detailed your joke is. Yeah, it's also a movie that means a lot to to people like like Darren and I, who work in finance. Um, (laughs) Um, it's 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 a movie that there 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 we there. It's the rare movie even, where the accountant is the hero. Yeah, even people who 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 who, who, who work in fin- in financial services or in adjacent fields, even they have souls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although they may not, it may not seem like it. it may at not first. seem Maybe like sociopaths it. Who kill yeah. their wives. Yeah. Yeah. No, we don't. We don't. Yeah. Know. We, we don't judge. We're going to leave this ambiguous. But um, no, it is. It's, it's. But it's. It's got that sort of incredible warmth to it, and it's. It's really, really beautiful. How well constructed and well put together it is in those terms. I suppose, like the the, the, the uh, I I don't know whether I should talk about it, but the, the, does the, I'd I'd be interested on Twitter to see if anybody else has has this kind of un like I don't actually want to go to prison, but like it, 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 but it is it's it's it, whether whether anybody has this I guess it's it's the same kind of appeal that something like um. Uh, the military might have for certain people. Where well, it imposes there, structure and routine. You, yeah, well, institutionalization, I yeah. guess. Where, where, it, yeah, exactly. And that, that's what Red talks about. Where Red is like, you know, the first night is the hardest, but after that, mm. you fall into the routine and you get used to the habit. And uh, he sort of talks about a little bit about how you know he can't even believe he's been in for thirty years yeah. because he's been so regimented and so sort of structured. It's like one day blends with the other. They give you life. That's what. That's exactly, exactly what, what they, they take. take as yeah. in, even if you do get out, you're. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of. But, and there was there was something there was something else I can't remember whether it was Michael inside or whether it was an article I was reading. But the argument was that like from people who've been in prison, like their impression of serving long stretches of prison was that like you have two or three days where something happens, something well, horrific, that's what is like. something horrific mm-hmm. and brutal, yeah. And the rest of it is just a mesh that you really Real, forget once yeah. you've lived through it, like. Um, it's just it sort of like school. That's a good. Yeah, I, I remember we. They, they, I feel like we talked about this before on the podcast when we were. It might have been um, they catching on coup or um, sorry, but the four hundred plus. Yeah, um, where we were talking about um, this time in school. I don't know if we can both remember, but we we were. I think we had we had taken like a. We were up to some hijinks. It might have been the time where we took a skeleton and. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I remember that one where we put it outside the science and put it at the urinals and stuff like that. But just to be clear, we, we we didn't dig up a grave. This, yeah. this, 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 <laughs> oh, okay. This was a plastic skeleton. teaching grave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, Charlene, for having the faith in us to go to real skeleton first. Um, no, but for the boys will be boys. boys. <laughs> yeah. Um, so faithful. <laughs> I remember. I remember saying at the time, "It's it's things like this that we'll remember. We won't recall how um, boring the these like five or six years were." Just remember for a second while we're having a good time um, <laughs> no. now that this wasn't what it was like. I wanted to give it like a, a, a perspective on it like at the time. It's like, oh, no, wait, 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 wait. And you can tell one of us studied philosophy which one of us it was. I remember that day, actually. I remember because that was the one where they the skeleton was left unattended outside the science lab, which is always a good thing to do in a school full of teenagers yeah 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 um oh it's okay there's security cameras (laughs) (laughs) famous last words but um 
It did, yeah. So we basically we took it around the school and stuff like that and had a bit of fun. It was it was all in good good natured fun. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I remember that's what I remember of secondary schools. I remember those few days. You're yeah. right, and not the not the long boring slogs of it. Yeah. And I feel like the movie captures a lot of that about prison life, and it captures a lot of the sense of that about prison life, like the idea that prison is just routine, that it is just it's the same day over and over and over and over again. Yeah, but I, I think it, it, there's a kind of a dichotomy in. Because we're we're all sort of kind of living in in one prison or another, and there's a certain yeah. kind of a value in what one can 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 do in that uh, structure, and that's something that you can also do is escape those structures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But it, but it, it, it's not the, like like I I feel like well, this it, is that Sartre thing that I was talking about earlier, where his argument was that it takes work to be free. Freedom is not a yeah. perpetual condition. It's something you have to hone and you have to exercise. It, and the idea that like the society imposes structures upon you that trap you, like Shawshank could be anything. Shawshank yeah. could be. I think that's maybe why it's so universal. Is that like people watching Shawshank, you know even if they haven't been to prison, I've never been to prison, uh, may recognize in it, for example, like being trapped in a mundane job or being trapped in a in a status quo or in a relationship that's not satisfying or fulfilling or just living a life that you don't necessarily want to lead, but you're leading out of habit. Mm. And, and sort of the work that it takes to break out of those patterns and behaviors. And yeah, there, there, yeah there, there's also, there's, there's a sense in which people feel like the, the way to um, escape their life is to escape from their life, not to escape in their life. You know, they, 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 You mean by like running off to Mexico and I, getting a boat? Yeah, yeah. Where, whereas, whereas you, you can, you can have, you can have this freedom um, in in a prison. You can have the the the, the library that he creates and the, the sense of community even among the inmates, which was not there yeah. before he arrived. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there is, there is like, and and a lot of people who would have told him that that it was, um, that it was hopeless, like including Red, including um, Norton, yeah. um, to to do these things, and that he did them anyway. And, and like he, even even how how he becomes the kind of financial advisor um accountant banker money launderer for the prison is 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 true like his his own choice when he's told not to basically yeah Yeah. that's a good point actually yeah Yeah. and and again it's through small steps as well through little things he starts doing the you know gives tax advice to one guard then he's giving tax advice to you know some of the guards then he's giving it to all guards then he's giving it to all guards in opposing prisons then he's suddenly managing this big money laundering sort of scheme that's going on through the prison itself like it's, it's an interesting thing to um to discuss is sort of the idea of not being able to be content with the situation and that's Andy's power, really, isn't it? It's like, well, I'm mm. in this situation. I'm just going to do this one thing. And it's, 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 quite, it's quite small. Um, but then I'm going to do this other thing. And it's just people can mm. go, well, this is terrible. I'm stuck in prison. I'm going to kill myself. Or I'm just going to go through every single day being the same until I'm dead. Yeah. And you can choose that. Yeah. Or you can choose to go like, well, I might as well be using this rock hammer to do this thing on the wall. I might as well be trying to get the library going. Sure, I'll write a letter. I have nothing else to do. Yeah. And that's where the hope comes from, really. Absolutely. Isn't it? it comes from this ability to just not be contented with misery. And it's funny how lucky people are and yet the 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 hopelessness people can feel. Because like, like I've worked in, in hospitality, for example, and a lot of people in that industry... And not even just in that industry. No, in, I mean, in, in, in many in people industry, in their jobs, yeah, yeah, feel a sense of 
hopelessness and despair and there's no value I can possibly derive from this nine to five that I have or from from this uh, situation that I'm in non-career yeah Yeah. Yeah. and it's it's that's a choice that a person makes that's a gift you can give yourself which is I'm going to spend my lunch breaks writing a book or learning French or Or reading a book or whatever like it, it is something that you do have to choose for yourself. Some people just have that in them. Maybe Andy Dufresne is the type of person who just has it in him. But if you were working in a job or if you're in a relationship that's not making you happy and you're for whatever reason not leaving mm. or whatever it is that, or you're in prison, whatever it is. Yeah. I think that, yeah, like the, the Andy Dufresne's of the world have to give themselves something to focus on. And that can lead you to all kinds of different redemptions. It could just be your redemption is you're not bored. Your redemption could be, I'm living a really happy life, but actually my my job's really dull. But that allows me the free headspace that I can concentrate on uh, painting when I go home or whatever yeah. it is that you, you want or to do. Or a podcast. Or podcasting, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. finding something within your 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 job that can actually inspire you. Find, mm. like, be, 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 because I think like finding the why of what you're doing and um, can you're doing something are you doing it for a reason if you're not doing it maybe you shouldn't if 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 it doesn't have any reason that can't that can't mean anything to you then then maybe you should do anything else because there yeah. there, there must be something that you could do that would be that, more meaningful that, that, that would be more meaningful if it's anonymous to you to 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 attach a purpose to this then you're not really living, kind of. Yeah, I think yeah. that makes loads of sense. And I think that's yet another very universal thing in that yeah. film. Yeah. That's, I guess that's something I've always been subconsciously aware of. But you just saying that right now is like, that is something that you see in this film is um, just the lack of ability to sit there and go, Be this is my life now. Yeah. This is it, I suppose. Mm. You know, and that's something we're all guilty of all the time. Yeah. It's like, yeah. This, well, I mean, even even yeah, Red is terrible. yeah, even Red is guilty of it to an extent yeah. in the film because he he has the rote thing that he does when he goes to his parole hearing and he delivers the same spiel about oh I'm rehabilitated and all this sort of stuff. And it's only when he breaks out of that pattern and he exactly. actually sort of thinks about what he's doing, what he's saying, yeah. um, and he, only when he's like been exposed to Andy who has like done this wonderful thing and it, it's telling that like he only Red only has this epiphany not while Andy's in prison with him but while he's seen what Andy's been accomplishing in that yeah. time yeah, like it's, it's only when it's all revealed like the cumulative labor that Andy's yeah. been doing and like and I really really like that about this film because it's it's a film that is about chipping away slowly it's about like you don't achieve change like the the prison break sequence is is great but it's not a conventional like prison movie break sequence it's not like the end of Lucky Logan or whatever yeah. it's not like a, a high sequence or a high stakes it's not like he's dodging torches played, isn't it? Yeah. yeah it's not like he's dodging torches mm. or you know the most daring thing that he does is he has to time the banging of a rock to a thunderstorm yeah. um yeah. But, like, you, you do it in bits and pieces. Like, you don't change your life overnight. And, I mean, I would argue, and we're coming perilously close to being, like, a self-help podcast in this case. But, like, <laughs> but one of the things about, like, changing I've, I've your life... I feel like this is a self-help movie. And, 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 and <laughs> yeah. self-help is, is, is something that people talk very, kind of, like, dismissively about. And, and, and there's a lot of, kind of, like, charlatanism in this. But this is, this is a... A, a motivational or in, inspiring or self-help, if you like, um, movie. movie. It's it's something that um, somebody could put. In fact, I, <laughs> I feel like putting a Rita Hayworth um, <laughs> poster on my wall and and that just being my kind of 
that means um, I look at it and, and, and I think get get uh, get, get busy, busy living or get busy dying or, or any of the kind of myriad yeah, warden, kind of lessons yeah. that you could warden, but also she well fit didn't she yeah. <laughs> warden Norton's wife sort of doing oh, yeah. him a, yeah, 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 yeah. stitching him a, a get busy living or yeah, get busy living or get busy dying little thing to hang on at all um, I do feel like get busy living or get busy dying kind of has a more ominous connotation to it than uh, like I feel like if you went to your office and you hung that up that wouldn't be inspirational that yeah, no, kind of well, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's what why I'll it? have Rita Hope Hayworth. Springs Eternal yeah maybe what is, it? What is the thing that... oh fuck yeah, it's something it... about set... Hope Can Set You Free it... Hope, Hope it... Springs Eternal Hope Can Set You Free I think that's the tagline of the movie yeah and yeah. Hope Springs Eternal is the name of the so like each and again you get you get you get the sense of how hard it, it was to sell this movie that you had a picture of of Tim Robbins <laughs> in the rain basking in his freedom with hope can set you free written on the top yeah. and the Shawshank Redemption written on the bottom and you going what 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 is this movie yeah. about again exactly yeah, yeah. it can yeah. set you free but not for ages <laughs> <laughs> but, but like not even that it's like at least when they did the Green Mile the Green Mile had a guy in a prison uniform and some jail cells yeah, on the poster so you're true. like okay it's a prison movie I get that but it was okay because it was Tom Hanks so yeah. you're like. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, he's a good prison guard. He's not like Clancy Brown. Um, no god. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tom Tom Hanks is the like um he I I I love Tom Hanks, but it did it, they it's 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 quite it's quite he's he's a quite a convenient kind of uh, delivery method for whatever whatever kind of for like, shorthand. Yeah. He's like shorthand for you can trust this person. He's yeah, nice, he, your grand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's he's nice. Nobody knows what he is or where he's from. He's um, <laughs> You make him sound like Andy. It's like <laughs> Tom Hanks wandered into America's prison yard one day. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Tom Hanks played Andy Dufresne oh, that would be amazing. I would, I, I would be on board with that movie. Although I'm not sure he would have the coldness. I don't think you could buy. I think he could bring it. I, do you think could he bring he? the coldness? Like this is the thing. I've always wondered: could you do a Tom Hanks movie? Like I know the way you've done, um, like Tom Cruise being a killer in Collateral. That was kind of a bit of a left turn for him. You've had Kevin Costner, <laughs> Kevin Costner being a serial killer, in Mr. Brooks, which is also a bit of a sharp left turn for for a sort of paternalistic figure. You had uh, Harrison Ford. By the way, this is the spoiler zone for all movies, oh. <laughs> not all just movies the movie ever. in which you're listening to. Yeah. But like, say What Lies Beneath, which has yeah. a big twist, which hinges on like Harrison Ford, who's like America's lovable grumpy dad is also a killer um i don't feel oh. like you could do that with tom hanks like could you do a tom hanks I serial killer? in tom hanks being yeah. able to do anything but i think he's smart i think he yeah. doesn't want that like yeah. because he's played really nuanced characters oh yeah, oh, yeah. Perfect and, or whatever, and, and complicated like, characters yeah, and characters full... no he's never gone like denzel washington in training day like you I wonder like you wonder what a tom hanks that. training day would look like because yeah. that was another sort of revelatory performance where it's like denzel washington is also america's dad except no he's not yeah he wouldn't go full evil <laughs> never go full evil never go full evil <laughs> <laughs> you tell like, the present yeah <laughs> i love the idea Play ping pong yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that like, a Tom Hanks version of like Training Day would basically be him maybe not paying for a stick of gum, yeah. um, paying collect- collecting like collection money in bagels from the local bakery. It's like um, well, now that's all I want to see because like, I believe you can do he can do anything. Oh, he is. Like, like, he can do anything. Yeah. I think, but I've like, never seen him do that. Like the everybody's Steve Martin uh, speech about Tom Hanks. What's up? Oh. No. Can't quite remember it, but um, it's where where he he's slowly finding out about uh, Tom Hanks. So he's doing some speech at the Oscars or something, and he's like, "Oh, is this uh, so? This uh, um, 
Tom Hanks, he's a f- funny guy. He's got some uh, comic shops. Oh, he can act too. And and then he's going through like his movies, and it's like I hate Tom Hanks. <laughs> like why is this? Uh, like um, yeah, the embodiment the, of the American spirit. Yeah, but um, it's like I come on, I need a job too. So, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of amazing in the past few weeks with all the like sex scandals coming out of Hollywood. How many people have gone like, oh, please just not Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks not Tom Hanks. Like so many people just kind of like, it, it's there. Yeah. Everyone's like, please God, I Waiting, can't yeah. deal with that if that, it wouldn't happen anyway, because yeah. we all know that would never happen. Yeah. No, no, he's just a <laughs> typewriter like, enthusiast. Be like, yes, that, exactly. That is the extent That's of Tom Hanks' yeah. like, Tom Hanks's skeleton in his cupboard is a bunch of typewriters. Yeah, definitely. He released a typewriting app. You can get an app on your iPad or iPhone uh, that's adorable. sanctioned by Tom Hanks that gives you the experience of tapping on a uh, on a tap. The sounds are carefully calibrated. It's <sighs> and it's like um, it, I know that Tom Hanks is in this movie, but like... I know. Yeah, how is this? <laughs> Steve Martin's really going mad. Steve Martin and Tim Robbins. It's in there. <laughs> Look, Tom, Tim Robbins. We already said he's hot, so yeah, like, he's, he's delighted. He's, he's a big, tall drink of water. Um, <laughs> Susan Sarandon's rushing back to listening to the podcast. Anyway, so you were saying. So Tom Hanks. <laughs> what about the the Brooks bit uh, when Brooks oh. leaves prison? Like it's a little short movie, almost within the movie itself. Yeah. And it's horribly affecting. It's like it's like it is heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. And I say this as somebody with no heart, apparently, but it is still heartbreaking. It sort of gets me right there. It's one of those. And it is, like, when I think of the film, actually, that's one of the scenes that I really think of that really affects me more than the crawling through the river of whatever or the uh, the baptism scene or the going down to the beach in Mexico. It's the scenes with Brooks, where Brooks goes out into the mm. real world and he has to face the fact that while he's been in, in prison and while he's sort of been stuck in one place with this regiment and with this sort of, like, dictated yeah. routine, the world has gone on and left him behind. Like, the bit where he talks about... Andrew, we joked about it earlier with the prison bus arriving. Like, despite that, he's, he's somehow only seen a vehicle when he was a kid. <laughs> You'd be like, maybe, like, they should have brought him out a little bit... made an effort. A bit, a bit before his release had been like, okay, yeah. it's it's not it's not an angry horse. It's, it's, just so you're clear on this. Um, oh, it's extremely affecting, and it's really efficient. Like, that, yes. that storytelling, it's a... Like... The Shawshank Redemption as a whole is a big epic film about, like, what, well, I guess two men's lives, you know, and a lot of other people's, but you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a story. But then, like, it's like this little thing within a film that tells another person's entire life in this tiny, like, it yeah. really manages to get that. And it communicates in, uh, everything so effectively yeah. as well. Like, And I mean, and again, it's another I thing that's that done through. Like, it. It can't be more than five minutes. If, yeah, no, if it's, it's even short, five minutes. Like, Jesus, like... And it's done through voiceover as well, which is even like even non-Morgan Freeman voiceover in this film is so on point and so efficient. And it's not like it's it's not like it's bullet point as well. It's it's lyrical and sort of poetic. It's got and that it's sort funny. of funny. Yeah, it's got that uh, sort yeah. of. Like yeah. folk tale like oral traditions or sort of stuff going on, but it conveys so much. Like even the stuff with the, the manager. Like you have the wonderful line where, the, you know, I don't think the manager likes me. And then you get a nice callback, like in the same sequence where he's like, yeah. you know, I could rob the store and I could <laughs> shoot the manager as a bonus. And it's like that sort of attention to character, even in something that's just like to deliver just... exposition and building to this heartbreaking sort of final shot. Yeah. Um, it's just so much care and so much craft went yeah. into making this. The... All the like, I, I wanted to say um, all the dialogue in this movie is 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 amazing, and 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 I I feel I feel like you you, you might disagree with me. You might feel like some of it veers into schmaltz, sir. But I I I I I I think I think there's there's 
there's so much great lines like you know, like everything kind of coming coming out of the some of the the performances somebody that i really really enjoyed in this movie and maybe this makes me a bad person but like almost kind of comic relief is the character of hadley who <laughs> is certainly not comic relief <laughs> and, uh, no but, he's not <laughs> but, no absolutely not but but this it, it, he he definitely has a uh, a very good comic timing and 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 Hadley's William Sadler, right? It's he's the other inmate or the no, no. Hadley the horrible man, Clancy Brown's character. Oh, the guard, sorry, yes, yes, yes. Okay. yes. The, the, guard, he, he, the, the man with the truncheon <laughs> and the hat and the uniform. He's like a prisoner, except, <laughs> yeah, he, except he can go home at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but he, his performance is great. Like, well, Clancy yeah. Brown in like general is great. Like, Clancy yeah. Brown's one of those actors who I feel never quite got his due. And I suspect it's mm-hmm. down to the fact that he did genre stuff. Like, his big introduction was Highlander. Yeah, yeah. Because he has this, he has incredible presence. And he's, yes. uh, he's got this great voice. Like, a lot of his work great is voice. voiceover mm-hmm. at work. Like, he did mm-hmm. Lex Luthor on, on the, the DC animated sort of films and TV shows mm-hmm. for years. And he's really, really good here, even in a small role. It's great, and you're right. Like he, it's it's not a funny role, but it, he does have like a, a comic twinkle going on yeah. out there. Twinkle, I like that. This is the only time that we will use twinkle to describe. Uh... Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I find I, I I really in in enjoyed it, and I I felt like like there there is there is there 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 was something kind of yeah, there a weird kind of perverse. Yeah, humor about it. almost like in um, Full Metal Jacket with the kind of drill mm-hmm. sergeant, yeah. and like his his cruelty, but also the the the, the I suppose it's more kind of pronounced in that the movie, technical but... craft of his cruelty, the yes. care yeah, that he put yeah. into but it. The there, there's, 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 yeah, there, there's, there's a kind of and the, the way he's talking about the the the, the lawyers. Is yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's well, it conveys so much so effectively. Like you get a sense of who Hadley is. He's a small man who wishes that he were big. Yeah. Like he's got this sort of like the sense that this is his little corner of the world that he imposes order upon it, makes him feel like a big yeah. man, mm. even though he's not necessarily educated, even though he's not yeah. a professional. Like you get so much in so little. It's so and he efficient. To hate everything. Like that yes. bit where he's like, and then I buy a car and I have to pay tax on the car. <laughs> and then I got my like, kids. My kids are gonna. <laughs> my kids. Like, my you're kids. such a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> my, my kids who I love. I don't love them. <laughs> yeah, and they, but they, but they, the there there was something kind of there was something about the 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 effect of Andy Dufresne is to 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 even make humans of of those kind well, of I mean, monsters. What, what bit, like, where, like, where, where Red where almost seems magnanimous. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Where like they, well, there's this, even the bit where he attacks Bogs. Like he, and yeah. There's no reason yet, from a financial perspective, for the prison to be protecting Andy because Andy hasn't started doing the books and laundering the money for the warden. There's yet. maybe a reason why he's carried favor. Yes. Yeah. 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 But you get a sense that, like, yeah, there's there's no real reason why he would be particularly invested in this. Because he hasn't... I don't even think at that stage he's introduced the other guards to him to do the tax returns. I don't think so, no. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it might be on the cards, but... It might be on the cards, <laughs> yeah. But it's still, like, it's still a ways out. He's only had one meaningful interaction with Andy. And he's already like, okay, uh, I will be the only one doing brutality in this prison now. Thank <laughs> you very much. Um, 
Yeah, and it is, and it does sort of carry over. And I mean, even stuff like the wonderful final scene where he's sort of escorted off, and you get that sort of nice symmetry where yeah. the guard is going to be an inmate. You're kind yeah. of hoping that eventually he'll circle around. I'm not. pretty sure, yeah. yeah. Is, can you send a prison guard to their own prison? Does the judge have an ironic sense of humor? Um, you look like I'm a sure cold. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you look like a cold and calculating man, Mr. Dufresne. Um, yeah. <laughs> With your sass on the defence stand. Um, apparently, actually, that was one of the things that changed in post-production. Was They originally planned to have a cold open that would depict the murder and would be more involved in Andy's life before there. And the credits would roll during the trial. One of the things they found was that they wanted to get to Shawshank as quickly as possible. So the opening sequence that sort of cross-cuts between the two with the credits over, that introduces the town of Bob Gunton, um, <laughs> as, as Andrew sort of summarised. That sequence uh, came about in post-production because they wanted to get to Shawshank as quickly as possible. Yeah. Which I think ties into what, what Deacons was saying about wanting to remain sort of claustrophobic and within yeah. as much as possible. Mm. Which is, it's interesting because they, they are quite economical in how they tell that story and it's yeah. nice and uh, it feels of a time actually to think it's really, the way that time moves in this film is interesting in yeah. me, because it just, you know, this is very clearly like the 40s or whatever it is. Yeah, it's, it's the 40s when he goes <laughs> the 40s. in. It's 45, like like, I think 47, yeah. 47 maybe that sounds anyway but yeah yeah. so it's the 40s they have that song and but like as time moves on they have little you know like Tommy comes in that's rock and roll and like all this stuff and with the 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 sideburns the greaser um even Bob Gunton, right? Bob Gunton was cast in the role of the warden. Um, mm. How he got the role is amazing. Because he was like, he was, at the moment, he was appearing in Demolition Man. In this, which is, oh. Demolition Man, as we've discussed, is it's, officially the best movie that, ever made. Is that in the two? The two no, movies? it's not. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, okay. It's, it's the better, no it's the better <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, Rob Schneider movie. Yeah, as far, two. as far as these collaborations go. Um, in terms of like Caprage and Jimmy Stewart, you know, we yeah. talk about like... Um, but there was when he got the role he was cast while he was working in Dem- in Demolition Man and he was bald for the role and what he said was he wanted a wig the first thing they came in when he came into the talk was he wanted a wig and he explained why he wanted a wig he wanted a wig because his character needed to have hair in the movie and the reason that the warden needed to have hair in the movie was that so it could change over the course of the film and denote the shifting of time right. because if you look characters like Andy Andy looks pretty much the same over the 20-odd, 19-odd years that he spends in Shawshank. They a little bit of crow's feet. Yeah, just a tiny it's bit. really nice aging, actually. Yeah, it's, it's and it's very dark. subtle as well. Like even, even red as well doesn't seem little to change that much. Hair. Just a tiny bit, yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas the warden, on the other hand, who is one foot in the outside world and one foot in, in the prison, yeah. he his hair and his like body and his sort of... He changes much more than the inmates themselves. Like So, yeah. for example, he has, during the 50s, he has like the slicked back hair. Yeah. In the 60s, he has the sort of, uh, you know, croc cut sort of Nixon yeah. sort of style and in fact Nixon was a major influence of course on the uh, on the character of the warden in the film That's uh, surprising. not surprisingly <laughs> given like corrupt authority figures yeah. um, who are basically thugs claiming to be pious individuals uh, I Nixon yeah. wasn't of course <laughs> he said he was he said he wasn't yeah. yeah I mean if the president does it that means it's not illegal yeah, yeah. Exactly. you've not been paying attention um, the post we may recommend that you watch the post but yeah that's what got him the role was when he pitched that because he wanted yeah. to be able to dye his hair and change his hair and shave his hair that's interesting yeah that makes sense and he's he is he's really great I, again like Clancy Brown he's one of those actors who I feel yeah, never got good. yeah but never got what he really deserved in terms yeah. of a career because he's he was back doing television at the end of the 90s and, and into the 2000s. Like He was appearing as like a like the fourth or fifth ranked villain on a season of 24. Yeah, you pop up and you're like, oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> you were the warden from Shawshank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he could have been like a... I, I feel like somebody who, who got some appreciation, but but not enough from... Like, every time I see like the likes of David Strathern, who I feel like sometimes they're probably like buying yeah. for yeah. the same roles, and David's getting more of them maybe Bob. than Bob. Yeah, yeah. They, where, where you see them and it's like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm I, t- I told you not to shave your head for demolition, man. <laughs> yeah. At least my name doesn't sound like a town in Maine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I feel like he's he's really, really good in this. And he yeah. has like these really nice small moments. And he does that really hypocritical, that thing that we talked about, the hypocritical sort of pious thing so well. Yeah. Where he, like you get a sense quite immediately that he's claiming to be pious, but he's not really. Yeah. And you get this, and he's got this sort of duplicity as well. Where, trust in the Lord, your ass belongs to me. That's, yeah. that's the, I mean... <laughs> Great character establishing line. It's like, yeah. Uh, dickhead. Put your ass in the Lord. No. Your Put, faith belongs to me. Your faith. Yeah. Put your ass. Uh, take your. Oh, hit Norton, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Warden Norton, we've done three of these inductions this week. Um, yeah. How have you not got that? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you have no idea. When Red, when Red, when Red, when Red, when Red, when Red, when Red arrived, the talk was completely different. Totally different. <laughs> yeah, totally. I said, I'm trying something new this time. Takes a little bit of paper out of his pocket and is like, launder the money. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back in that goes, back on the trap. You guys didn't hear that. This wasn't my speech. Yeah. Um, this, yeah. was, this was my to-do list. Um, like, <laughs> I, I have a thing. Go on, go for it. <laughs> Sorry, this is really going on ages. Sorry. No, what, um, we, we do occasionally go on. <laughs> it happens. Um, I was going to just bring up and... Stephen King and how this oh, yes. fits into, but like just how this fits into the world of Stephen King or how this was a product of Stephen King. Because I find Stephen King very interesting as like, even if I didn't enjoy his writing, I still think as a, um, as a character in pop culture, he's oh, really yeah. fascinating. And the worlds that he's created, I don't know that anybody else has created so many iconic things in pop culture. Um, I mean, there's an argument made that King is like the perfect American novelist. Like that it's not a the kind of like John Updike or whatever. The greatest that you, American the, novelist. Yeah, that you yeah, would sort of associate with high, high culture and literature and that King has an understanding of the American psyche and yeah. like that it sort of resonates and it works and like even when it's not in, in a literal sense, he understands the American character in a very fundamental way and I think like you would argue this is the perfect example of this and yeah. that you know, this is an American face. Well, exactly. That's what, when you said that earlier, it kept popping into my head. Like, well, it's Stephen King. And Stephen King is, like, the epitome of the, the blue-collar everyman. Well, yeah. his, certainly his writing is. Like, he's obviously a bazillionaire. But, you know, but, like, he is when, a man When he was who's... starting out, he was famously, well, yeah, he exactly. was bankrupt. He was, and he was, he was a teacher, he, wasn't he? Yeah. He was a te- oh, actually, I think when he was writing Carrie, he was working in a laundry. Yeah. You know, like, so he's he's a man so who's... So we can empathise with Andy, is what we're getting here. Exactly, yeah. Just God knows what happened to him when he was working <laughs> in the laundry. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's. A, I think that um, as, as a piece of work that fits into the broader work of Stephen King, I think this is a really fascinating one because... It's completely against type for Stephen King, but it has so much of Stephen King in it in, in a way that I think that's what makes this probably resonate for me. Because before I saw this film, I knew Stephen King quite well. And like, you, you, there's not much to know. Like, he's got a, a certain type of writing. He's got a certain mm. way of speaking about people, about class, about structures in, within social classes. And I think in a lot of ways, the Shawshank Redemption, even though it's not the genre that we're used to seeing Stephen King write in, it's like uh, the grand, great American novel of Stephen King. Yeah. 
and I just I couldn't let this end without us discussing Stephen King. <laughs> well, so, so, you know, I, I'm a huge fan. Like I'm a huge fan of King. I wouldn't like in terms of like prose. There are there are better writers out there. Perhaps there are writers who are more lyrical and more poetic. Yeah. But I think King has a really really good understanding of um, how. Like, of America itself, I think. Like, of, like, the pop culture of America itself in particular. Like, one of the things that King... King is prolific. Like, King is... Like, when I look it's at somebody... industry. Yeah, of himself. But when yeah. you... Like, like when you look at his output, it's amazing. But, like, one of the things he does is he's not just a writer. Um, he's not just a screenwriter. He's not just a director of Maximum Overdrive. But he's also, like, he's engaged in pop culture in a really meaningful way. And, like, yeah. he's very insightful as a critic. Like, my favorite Stephen King book uh, is probably Dance Macabre, of oh, all things. Right. Yeah. Which is just a fantastic... And, like, I, I don't pretend to be a proper writer or whatever. But, like, one of the things that I took from that... And it's interesting that you, you mentioned, like, this being a prototypical King book. Is the way that King talks about writing... It's very similar to the way that Andy talks about breaking out of prison, where King's argument about writing is that you write a little bit every day. It doesn't matter what it is. You can write a diary. You can write a couple of lines in a book. You write a little short story, a little limerick. You just write a little bit every day and you keep doing that. And eventually you'll sort of get a snowball. It'll be awful at first. Eventually it'll be not awful. Sometimes it may even be good, but you'll sometimes get better. Sometimes it might stay awful. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> no, no, but his, his argument is... Well, that, the, it makes me think about... I feel like we've done three movies that were written by or based on uh, Stephen King. Stephen King. Um, so can you name them? Okay, so we've done The Shining is, is the big one. This one is another one. Um, and I'm trying to remember what the third one is. Lawnmower Man 2. We did lo- <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we did Lawnmower yeah. Man 2. So um, the, classic King. Classic <laughs> King. Yeah. I'm not sure so that even counts. Not really. The first one so was it, it, classic it kind of, in it wasn't it even the, based on Stephen King anything. Yeah. It's the funny thing about it was, yeah, that it, 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 it like... Was probably like like they say the most faithful adaptations of Stephen King are often the worst. This is like one of the least faithful adaptations. It was still awful. But this is the thing about King is that King like famously he has this big thing with Kubrick for The Shining, where like he mm. he went out and he produced his own miniseries because it didn't respect his vision as a writer. I think the King though, like King is a like he's a writer fundamentally, and like he engages with pop culture, he understands pop culture. And when you're reading it, you get a sense that he understands Americana. Yes. And there's like this thing that pops through. He has this engagement with like the history of America, particularly like America's own history of itself. So, for example, in it, you have the timelines jumping between the 80s when it was written back to the 50s. You have obviously like at the moment, the James Franco series was based on the book, which was what was it? uh, 23. No, 11, 23, 63 because of the, the American date code. But the assassination of Kennedy looming large. You have this, which is like this grand sweeping history of America from the end of the Second World War through to shortly after the Kennedy assassination, which, by the way, coincides with the loss of faith in institutions. It's not like and has a character who's modeled on Richard Nixon. Like it's not a coincidence. King is very much engaged in this idea. And again, like this is one of Darren's like pet symbolism, nonsensey things that Mm -hmm. I do where I like one of the things I like this idea of America, the American century beginning after the Second World War and sort of being this point. Yeah, they, they have a different calendar. Yeah, like they for it's for, like the Roman Julian we, calendar. We we have the twenty third of November. They have the eleventh of quad quadrilem. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> yes, that is the Stephen King book that we're talking about with the Kennedy assassination. Contemporary, um, <laughs> but um, what I was saying though was more along the lines of like King. 
like has this fascination with American cultural history and like so it is in many ways about like dealing with the fact that like childhood trauma and horror that we associate with like the 80s in this case also happened in the 50s we just sort of blotted this out yeah. and like the past was never as romantic as we yeah. idealized it like in here you could argue that Shawshank is a story of America from the end of the Second World War which is a, a point at which America became the dominant global power yeah. it was engaged in the Cold War it was the like capitalist force it was like the leader the unipolar moment as uh, you know Charles Krauthammer would retroactively call it you know building towards the end of history whatever but you have this idea of like America being standing triumphant as a colossus like and then you have this sweeping point where you go from the 40s like into the 50s into the 60s where you have like the death of Kennedy the ascent of Nixon you have this idea of people no longer being able to trust the institutions that house them you have this idea that like Shawshank itself sort of becomes almost like that where it becomes like a place where the characters need to get out of like where they've been happy living for a significant portion of their time there not happy but they become conditioned to it and they just need to get out at the end when the corruption becomes too much, when it becomes like when the warden starts murdering people. Yeah. Um, like, and you have... Well, he he starts the... It, it, there, is, there is a coinciding with... Those difficult two years coincide with, with him starting to... Um, tunnel. Tunnel, yeah. Yeah, he's, he the, starts tunneling like at the end, end of that. The yeah. end of... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, he, and he just keeps going, basically. Exactly. But, I mean, the argument is that, like... And we talked about this at the start, where Andy is, in many ways, I would argue, Andy's not, like... Andy is the central figure in the narrative, but he's not the one who changes. Yeah. Like, mm. Andy was always getting out of Shawshank. He's just tunneling all the he's time. He's just tunneling yeah. all the time, but it's through his example that the other inmates sort of change and evolve. And, like, Red has that epiphany. Like, mm-hmm. and you have that point where halfway... Like, Red's introduced at his parole hearing, you know, I was just getting rejected. And at the midpoint, even after he spent at that stage, what... Uh, 30 years so he spent about 10 15 years with andy at that point mm-hmm. giving the same spiel and getting rejected and it's only after andy's gone yeah and everything comes to light and the warden is exposed and all this sort of stuff that red basically goes in and says right you know what feck y'all yeah um i'm gonna deliver some truth which by the way is one of those movie speeches which is like in in rocky balbo it's one of those great movie speeches where you're like you want to punch the air <laughs> but on the other hand you're like well if you actually gave that speech in this situation like so in rocky balboa you have this big motivational speech about life ain't about hitting life is about getting hit and keep moving forward mm-hmm. you gotta take your punches and keep moving forward and you're like this is a really great inspirational yeah. speech but if you're delivering that to a doctor who's going to certify you for a fight i feel like <laughs> arguing that the point of boxing is to get hit repeatedly and not fall down uh, maybe not going to get you cleared. Yeah. I feel like in this one where you're like, rehabilitation's a made-up word by politicians. Yeah, like you. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's probably well, not going to get you paroled. It's probably, yeah. a, it's probably a Phillips curve. So they're like, that was terrible, but he's the best we've had so far today. So <laughs> we got we got, a, we got to parole one of them. <laughs> he's the first guy today who didn't have a shiv. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who didn't give us a sp- the same spiel that everybody else has been rehearsing in the art. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Points for improvisation. But yeah. I mean, Charlene, yourself, what about what about King, actually? If you want to, like, what is it about King that, that grabs you, actually? When you say he's one of your favourite writers, when you've been pushing for the Lighthouse sort of, like, um, Lighthouse season of King, you mm. said you've been pushing for years and finally got to do it. By the way, does that mean there won't be one in future? No, there's other films I could show. Don't worry. <laughs> we do The Shining every year at Halloween, so I'm sure yeah. we'll find other excuses. Don't you worry. Um... I mean, I've been reading Stephen King for a long, long time, and I guess I, I've always really liked horror things. So, like, that's all, like, really always, like, since I was very small, um, I used to watch, like, Unsolved Mysteries on TV and stuff yes. like that. You know, like, uh, I just face? loved anything. Yes! Robert Stack. Robert Stack. Yeah. 
But like I always loved that kind of stuff. And um, so I guess Stephen King was probably one of the first things I was exposed to. But I think that Stephen King, and, and this really does tie into Shawshank as well, is that he understands fear so well. Like he just understands fear. And that's a really base human thing. And that like when you're reading Reed Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, the notion of your freedom being taken away, you could probably do with reading that actually, is terrifying. <laughs> like it is just so gut-wrenchingly but the, terrifying. Well, that, that's the thing, even even in the film, Red talks about it's like living in fear yeah. as well. Like So even in, a, in what you described as, and what many people describe as an atypical King adaptation, yeah. that still fear is still fear. there. Yeah. And, and as well, like selling that fear. And I think, you know, Stephen King and his like hatred of Kubrick's The Shining, you're reading The Shining and you're like, if I'd written this, I'd Kubrick's one. Like yeah. I, I would, because it's, it misses the entire point of what Stephen King is doing. Yeah. It doesn't make it a bad film. It's no. a great film, but, it, you know. Yeah, I think one of the issues with The Shining, though, is that King poured a lot of himself into The Shining. Yeah. And I think that when you see a director who's adapting your work into which you poured a lot of yourself, throwing out all the bit that all is that you. All that stuff. Yeah, all the bit yeah, that yeah, is you yeah. and, and putting in, like, Jack Nicholson uh, in yeah. its place. And, I mean, Jack Nicholson's fantastic in The Shining. Oh, yeah, we, God, love yeah, the, we love The Shining. I have nothing bad to say about yeah. The Shining. Yeah. But if I was Stephen it's King... Yeah. Nicholson. Yeah. It's almost Jack Nicholson's The Shining. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but there would be, there would be like, a moment where you'd be like, okay, well, like, I poured my heart and soul into this work about, like, all the darkness inside of me, all yeah. the fears and anxieties that I have. Yeah. And, and it's a masterpiece. His yeah. book is... I just I think The Shining is one of the greatest books ever written. It's my favorite Stephen King book. I think it's the best Stephen King book, and I think that there's so much of that that comes from himself and his own fears and anxiety and what led him to become like Jack Torrance, like yeah. a, a monster. Well, he, yeah, he did. He he ended up. He wrote that while holed up in a hotel in Colorado, for example. Oh, did he? I oh, believe I he did. That. I believe he holed himself but, like, up at his darkest point. Yeah. one of his darkest points, and like something that's so personal, you know. But yeah. but he's a man who's able to filter his own personal experiences into just books about fear. And like, yeah. actually, you know, even I recently read Carrie for our cinema book club. And actually that's a really interesting example of a Stephen King book that is about being a teenage girl that I can't believe wasn't written by a, a teenage yeah, girl. It's a middle-aged it's, man. It's, yeah. <laughs> and he's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful book about being a teenage girl. It's horrible and gut-wrenching. And it's all about fear and other people's fears and why they, affected Carrie and all those you know all those things but I think ultimately the thing is I like scary things Stephen King writes about fear in loads of different ways that aren't just like oh there's a ghost like but like fears of things you might do yourself things that might happen to you you know I mean there's a great dance macabre bit where he writes about like the three stages of fear the three sorts Mm. of fear where you where you have like the first level of fear which is just revulsion it's like oh it's like it's the cheap sort of tacky oh my god this monster has a scary face yeah there's a second level which is like okay well there's a monster and the monster is creepy and it's always there and it's got this ominous oppressive presence Mm. you know so it's what it's like revulsion horror and and then terror is the third one yeah. and terror is the one the king is very good at because terror is the one that's existential yes terror is like it's not like it's not the vampire has teeth and gonna suck your blood it's mm. that the vampire represents the idea of like human sexuality coming down and hunting you and you've been you've been kind of hung up on sexuality for your entire life so we're just gonna put that in front yeah. of you now and like he's yeah. very good at that you can't talk yourself out yeah. of that fear that's yeah. that's the kind of fear that like you know, you you can't say, well, I would just run out the front door. Or yeah, you know, because the fear will like, always be with there. you. Yeah, it's, it's in it's my a... heart, it's in my soul. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, that, that's actually something I liked about Shawshank and the, 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 the movie that is is. The, and I, I I don't know about the I I haven't read the 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 novella novella, but the the the, the kind of equivocal or 
per- pervasive terror in that, um, say, Brooks, for example, he leaves prison. So so it's taken it out of the context of there's, there's, there's a huge, there's a terrifying reality there in in the and 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 i think it's 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 not just the fact that he's been in prison um all of his life which it in it, as as in that well that very clearly in in the movie is is the kind of message they're getting across but i think on a broader level there is something in a way terrifying about that sort of freedom yeah. and and yeah. and yeah. kind of paralyzing and what am i supposed to do freedom well all you want is freedom but then it's the the scariest thing yeah Yeah. and and the fact that that could happen to anyone well that does happen to everybody i mean like andrew was talking about this at the start like and it came up when we talked about like switching the channels finding shawshank and sticking with it like one of the big issues with like this era in which we live in and it's kind of funny to talk about like shawshank a film from 1994 in terms of stuff like say spotify or or netflix or whatever yeah is that you have an infinite array of options and what psychiatrists have found is that when you prevent and present people with like freedom with like absolute choice with no constraints whatsoever minimal constraints whatsoever they freeze up and they paralyze and like so people on spotify are more likely to listen to music that they already know rather than to branch out and try something new people who are watching to go into a record shop and spend 15 euros on something new yeah then you'd have to pick one thing and bring it home and yeah yeah as as opposed to like yeah yeah. yeah. as opposed to just having like a little box on your that you carry around that gives you everything on netflix people are more likely to pick the choices that netflix makes for them and in fact, Netflix invests massive amounts of money in making those choices in order yeah. to prevent people um, from feeling anxious about what they're going to watch on Netflix. Yeah. I, f- I, f- I feel like th- that's, I think, some, sometimes the reason why people don't escape their their personal kind of prisons. Because they, 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 if, 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 say, it's a person's job or a person's relationship that's causing all of their anxiety and um, their kind of unhappiness with, 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 with the world that they live in, well, well, what sometimes prevents them from from uh, kind of get getting out of that is is like, well, what do I do in Edward? Like at least now I'm I'm in a structure that I'm kind I of. I know what I'm doing tomorrow. I, yeah, I know what I'm yeah. doing next week. Yeah. Where, fear of freedom. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I, 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 felt I felt like that that was a kind of a story that 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 is uh, that it told quite well. It's not just a, a, a fear of losing one's freedom. It's a fear of kind of having, having it. Yeah, of being well. offered it. Yeah. Like, what happens of, if? Yeah. Of having your structure sort of taken away. Yeah. And right. the, the, the kind of dichotomy around that, I guess, yeah. was, was something that I found interesting. It's something that the, the, the whole kind of discipline equals freedom thing about it is 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 the whole kind of um well andy imposes his own structure which is quite a clever way of getting around that's true yeah andy disciplines himself andy sets up his own regiment and his own routine and like and red sort of talks about in forensic detail and like one of the things i like about the film is how carefully it presents like the film does that and again like deacons and cinematographers is why i'm thinking of the coen brothers but the the film what the coen brothers do very well as directors they're very good at showing you like meticulously how things happen and like for example we watched uh, no country for old men and you get a lot of like attention paid to how Shigura does something as simple as pulling a bullet out of his leg yeah. which you wouldn't get in another film yes. but even here you get stuff like how Red manages to get a rock hammer into the prison mm. you get like a little short like 60 second yeah. sort of montage which explains and answers it's not very long but you get it you get yeah. it and it conveys the information quickly and you get a lot of that throughout like so for example when you discover that Andy has escaped behind the Rita Hayworth poster you get an explanation for well where did all the dust go well he brought it out into yeah. the yard for example you know where did the rock hammer go at the end he threw it away when it was worn down 
turn up. You get a lot of this attention paid to stuff. Yeah. Um, or even like he was wearing the warden shoes or where'd he get the suit? He got the suit. Like, and that's really good setup and payoff narratively speaking, where it's like, you know, yeah. you have the warden telling him to take the suit down to laundry and then at the end he steals yeah, the suit yeah. and he uses it to escape. But like, there's that, there's a lot of that in there in that Andy basically creates his own routine and his own structure. And that's how he manages to get out. He manages to sort of like, it isn't that he breaks free. It isn't like, and again, this is something with Brooks where Brooks sort of goes out into the world and he has nothing. Yes. He has no structure and he has complete freedom and that's terrifying mm-hmm. and horrible. Um, but what Andy does is Andy sort of substitutes his own in its place, his own yeah. routine and his own mm. uh, pattern of behavior. And I think this is what you're talking about when you said the discipline of routine and stuff like that yeah. earlier on. Like, and the, 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 he also has a, a very kind of um, defined meaning while, while in prison, that, it, that it's not just about um, escaping. That that he 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 because he he's not he's not setting up this library so that he can um, put more <laughs> yeah. put more um, uh, hammers in books. In books. <laughs> I, I did I did love I did love the sheer um, you know sort of screw youery of having the the book in the in the Bible yeah. um, on Exodus. Yeah. That was a really nice touch. It's like, I'm going to start building this sort of rock hammer shaped hole in Exodus. Because when the, when the, because when the warden opens it in 20 years time, it's going to be hilarious. That's the kind of guy Andy Dufresne was though. Yeah. <laughs> just like that. See, I like the way that we're, we're talking about him in the past tense, like Red. It's yeah, that's exactly. We all remember our time with Andy Dufresne. He belongs in our hearts. Yeah. yeah. Um, so with that in mind, then I guess the only thing left to do then is to sort of uh, pick the movie that we're going to talk about next week. Yes. So, Charlene, uh, what we might do is we might get you to crank up the random number generator. Let, uh, me, let, me, uh, let me just open the curtain and the... On the we do, <laughs> do we have a KPMG oh, yeah. certified accountant here? It's going to wheel it up towards you. Um, um, the, yeah, it, it is a KPMG certified... Um, random number generator. Random number generator. He's um, supervising this. But it, but it, in case you're wondering, no, it's not the KPMG you've heard of. It's, it's another one. Yeah. Okay, and so the number that we've landed on is... 93. Hold on, let me just get the number there. What's that one? What is it? What film is it? (laughs) Oh, the number number doesn't necessarily... I thought you were going to do that. (laughs) Okay, sorry. We we suffer from relatively poorly defined roles. It's number 93, and it's Singing in the Rain. The classic sort of 1952 uh, Gene Kelly musical. So hold on, we'll just grab the uh, trailer now. Stop rolling at once. Huh? Don, Lena. All right, everybody, save it. Save it. Tell them to go home. We're shutting down for a few weeks. What? Well, don't just stand there. Tell them. 
Everybody go home until further notice. What is this? Yeah, what's the matter, R.F.? The jazz singer. That's what's the matter, the jazz singer. Oh, my darling little mammy. Now, little mammy. My little mammy. No, no, this is no joke, Cosmo. It's a sensation. The public is screaming for more. More what? Talking pictures. Talking pictures. Oh, it's just a freak. Yeah, what a freak. We should have such a freak at this studio. I told you talking pictures were a menace, but no one would listen to me. Don, we're going to put our best feet forward. We're going to make the dueling cavalier into a talking picture. Beautiful girl, you're a lovely picture. It's been a, whoa! I, I'm 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 excited for Singing Around. It's been a while since I've seen Singing Around. Having watched that trailer, I I'm now remembering how many songs are are, are in that movie. A lot, a and lot. I, I, yeah, and a very long extended dance number. Beautiful girls, <laughs> <laughs> which I feel adds so much to the plot as we're going along. <laughs> but it, it's fast. One of the things about doing this is the opportunity to go back and look at Hollywood trailers from like the fifties and stuff. Yeah, that is a Mental. very different trailer than most audiences are used to. It literally to. spoils the end of the film! <laughs> well, just, you want to be reassured that the film has a happy ending before you sit down That's and true. watch it. Especially what? if you're a 1950s audience <laughs> What's yeah. his name? Is it Fred Millard? Or uh, with the, the um, grey-haired studio exec? Oh, Mitchell, isn't it something? Fred, is it... Uh, Mitchell, <laughs> Mitchell Millard? Mitchell yeah. Millard, yeah. Mitchell, Mitchell Millard? <laughs> yes. 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 It, you kind of are watching the trailer, it's like, oh, 
class, a Mitchell Miller movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to see um, Cause he, uh, another movie with him in it. Cause it, it um, that's because he's, he's the guy who has the biggest scene in the trailer. It's like, if you were to watch it, you'd think, oh my God, this is the story of a studio executive who has to change yeah, a movie at the last minute. Yeah. yeah, and everyone else is just a, a singing ensemble around him. Yeah, yeah. he's the yeah. real creative vision behind it. It's basically like Hail Caesar with Josh Brolin as, as yeah, Mitchell yeah. Miller. I'm, I'm guessing that the, the studio head was responsible for cutting that trailer. <laughs> yeah. Who's the, the most studio imp- head better. Yeah. Who's the most important person in this film? The studio Obviously. head. Obviously. Uh, but it is, and it plays, you think Charlene pointed out there as we were watching, it plays like an advertisement for the album Singing in the Rain. It probably was as much as anything. Well, it was. Well, it was a massive, massive, massive soundtrack of its day. Oh, it was. Well, I mean, it was uh, famously written, it was a songbook musical, like, uh, oh, and yeah. it, it compares it to An American in Paris, like the, the introductory text yeah. is like, you liked, if you liked An American in Paris, then you'll love. But it has... You can't get all of these <laughs> songs <laughs> in the shops. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you but have it, to come see this movie. But it is, yeah. It, um, it's basically, it was basically a collection of songs for the songwriter in question. So it's basically, and I like that Andrew sort of pitches Andrew makes it sound like a challenge like yeah, we bet you think we can't cram all of these songs into a single <laughs> copy of the yeah. but there's more yeah. It, yeah. it's like one of those like um, uh, uh, what do you call it the um, infomercials for, yeah. for, but uh, wait there's more yeah because yeah. Yeah, it is because it, it goes you know oh, by oh, way, here, here are all the songs that are in it Here's the cast. Oh, and by the way, in case you thought that we didn't have enough music in here, yeah. there's loads more music. There's loads yeah. more music. <laughs> loads more music. Loads more people. Yeah. So you like Sid Sharif? A bunch of songs that didn't get used in other films. Well, some of them have actually. Some of them have been used oh. from other films as well. It was basically the idea was that you would have, if you were a composer, you'd written a bunch of music that had been used before, and you wanted to basically make your own film. It's like you could argue it was almost the the songwriters sort of as a yeah. tour, and it was basically and like, you can tell that when you're watching like structuring the film around it I can't even remember the context for Beautiful Girl even though it gets a it gets like yeah, a yeah. shout out in well, the it was, it, like I guess songs didn't really mean it back then <laughs> because they were all about sex but you couldn't really make it very <laughs> clear Fiddles of Fiddle I'm ready for love Andrew that's about wholesome self-care yeah it's about vaudeville yeah that's okay um, yeah <laughs> but yeah there, there's a lot of that but anyway so I, I take it you, you've seen the film obviously Charlene you love it I've seen it as well I love it I think so in fact Andrew as you talked oh, about oh yeah it's delightful yeah. Will, will I be hung over because <laughs> <laughs> I feel probably. like that would happen if I could do Debbie Reynolds when I'm hung over she's like the weak point for me now really so. yeah really? well it was like her first big film wasn't I it I can't stand her in it really she just, she's such a drip and what? I like that other girl, Jean Hagen's character. Well, Jean Hagen's amazing. In it. She's yeah, great. She's I just, I just find Debbie Reynolds insufferable in that film. Maybe it's because I'm in love with Jean Kelly. But like, <laughs> and so you were empathising with him. They go off crying on the piano. Yeah. You're just, ruining the scene. She's so annoying. Just like, don't go out with her. She's an idiot. So anyway, go dance that, with that Donald like, Yeah, that's. So Hang out with Donald O'Connor. You don't even need a woman. Donald Just O'Connor, have the crack chance. all the time. Yeah. I think we're getting Absolutely. into a different set of like 50 stuff you can't talk about in that case. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that movie. <laughs> um, they make, were what, quite what, happy together, weren't they? Yeah, what is Make yeah. Him Laugh About? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so next week we'll be back talking about Singing in the Rain. Um, Charlene, in the meantime, if our listeners want some more Charlene in their lives, where can they find us? more Charlene in their yeah. lives they'll have to hang out with me <laughs> okay alright and I don't do anything else I, uh, they can come see me in the lighthouse and be like hi Charlene <laughs> just wave <laughs> <laughs> 
And this is an audio Obviously podcast. I'll be so in the just, pub over Christmas. Yes. <laughs> just, just wave. <laughs> just wave at random people and go, hi, Shirley, yeah. and eventually you'll find her. Um, be my friend. <laughs> but, um, Godfather. <laughs> you come to me on this. <laughs> the, day of my, the day of my Stephen King festival. And you ask me to screen singing in the rain with Debbie Reynolds. Um... But anyway, okay, well, with that in mind, you can, obviously, we are all big fans of The Lighthouse. We talked about this in the podcast before, so if you want to go to The Lighthouse, if you want to see a movie in Dublin, go to The Lighthouse. Yeah. It's, it's, our, it's our good season at the moment, because it's I'm all sorry. the good movies, and <laughs> Christmas season, and all that crack. I like that. It's our good season, not a bad season. Not that time, yeah. when I have to use my imagination. It's just kind of like, everything coming out in the next while is just really good, because it, it is, actually. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a and Good crop of movies this year. It is, actually. And this will be coming out sometime in early January, I suspect. Okay. So. So Perfect. you'll be getting like you'll be coming up on like three billboards. You'll be coming up yeah. on Shape of Water. Will be arriving Shape in February. Water. The post will be Lady out. Bird. Lady, Bird, Lady Bird, yes, Lady Bird Lady's. looks great. Lady Bird's really, really good. good. Yeah, was, was uh, Molly's good. Game is another one that's early in just in January, and I thought that was great. I quite liked it as well. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and Jessica Chastain like. Um, it's, so you, just great. you really can't go wrong it's fantastic oh, and we're having a, I should mention this yeah. uh, we're having a Paul Thomas Anderson season all oh, 35 did. mil not all of his films because we couldn't get them all but um, it'll be Boogie Nights Magnolia There Will Be Blood and Inherent Vice on 35 mil and then uh, we're doing the Phantom we're doing not the Phantom Thread Phantom Menace oh my god <laughs> Phantom Thread on 35 mil as well from the 2nd of February wow so it's just going to be Paul Thomas Anderson fest nice yeah because I like to torture our protectionists by being like, hey, you know what we need more of? 35 mil prints, most of which are old. <laughs> and possibly a like, we won't What are you doing to me, you crazy kid? <laughs> they hate me. <laughs> Sorry, I, I imagine every protectionist like the old man in the cinema party. Get out of here. Only after a few years of dealing with me. <laughs> less flammable now, though, I believe. Oh, no, yes, they are less flammable, flammable now. Yeah. I like that. Sorry, just to get those in the just in case yeah. the insurance <laughs> listening to the podcast yeah. I did put um, a couple of years ago I put like we, they used to deliver um, trailers on 35 mil to the lighthouse and even like stuff that we wouldn't really be playing like Battleship and stuff like that what you, you didn't screen the masterpiece that weirdly, is Battleship no, uh, um, maybe someday down the line like Hollywood Babylon or something I feel like that was yeah that was a great missed opportunity I feel like the worst thing about Battleship is the fact that Liam Neeson never utters a line they sunk my Battleship it's um, ridiculous. It's a terrible <laughs> it's movie. But it's terrible in good ways, I would argue. Oh yeah, like there's there's a time and a place for it, yeah. not full shows for two no. weeks. No. <laughs> yeah. This is why I don't program in a cinema. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, just put that battleship. It's terrible. Woo! <laughs> You'll learn my it's... lesson about that. <laughs> You'll love it, it's awful. Um... <laughs> Big believer in that. But, uh, but yeah, so when's so... the demolition man season? When, when's the We have uh... shown Demolition Man before. <laughs> But, but not like, Judge Dredd. Yeah, the, where's the Stallone the Snyder ju- season? You know who you need to talk to? You need to talk to the Grindhouse guys because they're obsessed with Sylvester <laughs> Stallone. And I can't believe they haven't done... Hang on. Have they not done Judge Dredd? I don't believe they have. All right, then. But they just show anything that Sylvester Stallone has ever been in. Maybe. I Cobra. I don't think they have done that. They've done Cobra. Cobra. Crime like they, is the disease. He is I, the You'd be hard-pressed to find a Stallone film that they haven't shown. Well, yeah, Oscar. them. They haven't shown Oscar, but there we go. I, they're partial to it. That's, so that's like, a crime against humanity. Someday. Yeah. Someday. That's the Sylvester Stallone musical. 
Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see you in February for this the long season. Sorry, <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, and Phantom Thread, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Actually, um, I'm quite excited. Have you seen it? Not yet. Okay. Soon. I'm really looking forward to it. Anyway, with that in mind, then you can follow the podcast on Twitter at the 250 You can follow me at Darren underscore Money. You can follow Andrew at. Uh, just go to your local library and ask the librarian. I feel like I might I might have said that before. I need to, I need to come up with more jokes. And uh, the, the the Twitter A Q U I N N I U Q A. Add me as a friend on Facebook. <laughs> Follow me home. Follow um, me home. Okay, you yeah, can also I love the kind of other wholesome activities. Yeah, in which people engage. <laughs> exactly. um, you can also follow us on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever I'm we on podcast. Well. Uh, um, <laughs> his boss will love to hear about, about his views on his desire to spend time in prison. All right, with that in mind, then take it easy, guys, and we'll see you next week for Singing in the Rain. Bye. Bye.